OTB. Probably days we were questioning maybe whether this would ever happen first. So now I know, as I said, it's special and it'll be all undone. Is the only thing if we don't get over the line next week. So um, everything now is riding on that one. Subscribe to the OTB GAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Very good morning to you. Thursday morning's OTBAM. You're very welcome along to the show this morning. We're with you, as always, between now and 10 o'clock this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Delighted to be joined in the studio this morning by the wonderful Ashing O'Reilly, Mead's finest. How are you, Ashing? Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Shane. See, you've got to give these introductions. Jared doesn't do them. No. We all deserve an, an adjective or some describing word for us. It's only you that does them. Yeah, last time I was on, I think he gave me a, a big one as well. There you go. And Colm, Colm gets a, a nice one as well, usually for me, but um, Jared, kind of tongue-in-cheek, give him a little slag, <laughs> left, left, right and centre. Uh, loads to get into between now and uh, 10 o'clock this morning. Uh, plenty of bits and bobs in the show from across different sports. I was, uh, I was triple screening again last night, actually. So I did this last week. Um, I can't remember what I was watching last week. Yeah, it was the Mechanic Cup as well. So I paid my, paid my 12 euro to watch 12 the, euro. I know, mm-hmm. it's steep. Yeah. So what the way Ulster GEA TV are doing it this year is you pay 12 euro a game or you can pay 30 euro for a Mechanic Cup season ticket <laughs> for the screen. Uh, and I was like, oh, maybe just in case Monaghan don't get past the group stages, which they haven't, uh, I'll just pay the 12 euro and it'll cost me 24 quid. So I watched the down game last week and their two-point win against Donegal last night in Bally Buffet. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was absolutely torrential conditions, so I was kind of glad to be sitting in my living room and not not, uh, not watching it from there. And then I had the City Southampton game on, and then of course I flicked over to the snooker, naturally enough. Got the penalty shootout in for the Forest Wolves game as well, so... And can you concentrate? Like, do you walk away from there thinking, oh yeah, I know what went on in every game, uh, every sport event, or do you think, geez, no, my head's can, mush, that's what I'd be like. Yeah, you're kind of, foc- you're trying to focus on one, like I was obviously focused on Mon- on Monaghan in yeah, particular. Yeah, that's the number one. Number one priority, mm. your county is your, is your number one. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as Southampton score goals, you're like, okay, this, this game's got interesting, all yeah, of a sudden. not what you expect. 100%. Um, Gav Mizunu with uh, an assured performance, yeah. which is good to see. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, I mean, I'd love to see Southampton go on and if they go on and win this trophy. Now they have Newcastle in the in the semi final over two legs, but I mean Kelleher led Liverpool to the League Cup last year. Could Bazunu lead Southampton to the League Cup this year? And then the two the two Irish keepers winning the League Cup two years in a row. Yeah, he just he he looks like someone. He even spoke to Sky after the match, and he was like, he's just confident and assured for a lot of his age. I think. Um, Probably serves to highlight why Cuevin Kelleher maybe needs a loan move, maybe in a bit of game time, because Bazuna's playing week in, week out. Yeah, and I suppose it hasn't always been that positive for him in the start of his Premier League career. Uh, Southampton obviously sitting bottom of the table in the Premier League. Yeah. So, you know, they needed that win last night, and obviously against Man City, who are sitting second, you know, it's pretty positive. And for him as well to come away with a, a clean sheet, you know, it, it's brilliant, because I think there was question marks over the last couple of games. For sure. Um, would he lose his place? You know, he just wasn't really on form. And yeah, he wasn't tested overly last night. I only got to see the highlights. I was out of the mead game. But yeah, what I've seen anyway, you know, he clean sheet, he done well. He'll take a lot from that. A lot of confidence and the two goals. Oh, yeah. Sekumara, first of all, the first goal will go in order. I mean, the cross was sublime. And then the finish, first time finish for a young lad. I think he's only, he's only 20 maybe. And like he took it like a proper poacher. Yeah. Um, and then the second goal from Gianepo was just 
that was all confidence. So that probably came from the the first goal. Yeah. The way that went in, they're on a high, and then you had to have been full of confidence to oh. take that strike from distance. Why would you even think of doing that? Exactly. Yeah. Keeper was too far off the line. Uh, Possibly. Yeah, he was quite far out, but you don't expect. No, you still don't expect. A no, shot and like obviously, that. if you if you see that opportunity, you know, your professional player, yeah, you should take that opportunity. But uh, yeah, he definitely did, and yeah, unbelievable two goals. Oh, ridiculous. Because mm. we were kind of th- um, we were chatting in the show after the show yesterday, talking about last night's games in the league cup. We we're thinking, ah, you know, maybe not great games. Southampton City, something bottom of the league. City could put out the big guns and make this a five six nil game if they want to. Um, albeit they rested Haaland and De Bruyne from the start which I mean backfired a little bit absolutely yeah I know they brought they brought them on but no shots on target for City across the entire match which is rare mm-hmm. to say the least and Pep sort of spoke afterwards and said that he felt that before the game even he knew that they weren't going to win you know such a thing to say statement um, I suppose you do get that, that feeling at times if you're in a dressing room and you're like yeah obviously he did you know um, that things are off or maybe travelling that sort of thing but uh, for Nathan Jones yeah it was a much needed win as well for him you it's, know I think it's three wins for Southampton as manager have all come in the cup which is yeah quite remarkable but uh, serves to highlight their crap form in the in the Premier League big time they're yeah. going to need to bring this into the Premier League now for sure or else they're going to be in, in serious bother mm-hmm. just looking at Southampton's first home success over Premier League opposition since to be Chelsea in August and only a sixth win since the start of last year 2022 so I mean, that is, that's yeah. horrific form. Really, uh, really is. I don't think you'd be worried about Man City, would you? Obviously, no. they have the Manchester Derby this weekend. so Half 12, Saturday, uh, yeah. Yeah, big game to look forward to. And obviously, coming off the, the back of that loss, would you worry? As a City fan, I don't think so. No. I mean, uh, you'd, you'd expect them to go on, push on and maybe win this, this tournament. Uh, Newcastle will be looking very, very nicely at this tournament now. It's something they can definitely... Uh, see as as a real opportunity for silverware and mm-hmm. they've Southampton United have Forest over two legs and will be home in the second leg Newcastle will be home in their second leg so that's an advantage for the two bigger teams as well uh, it was, I flicked over to the um, penalty shootout last night as well when Forest knocked out Wolves and like, Dean Henderson was was the hero in the shootout uh, for anyone who's seen this like there was plenty of shithousery in the shootout there was like little bits of Henderson wanting to chat to the, the guy he was giving the ball to and um, the away fans were behind the goal and I mean t- players I think there was like four celebrations like this of players putting fingers in the air after they scored their penalty it was a bit cringy it got, it got to the, the Jack Colback did it at one point after like three people did, did it before him and you're like ah Jack okay, yeah. relax it's, it's a bit cringy now. <laughs> it's like, been done you're all doing this like um, so it was just to wind up the fans behind the goal but it was one of those penalty shootouts with a bit of needle to it mm-hmm. and like Henderson looking over at the away fans and giving it loads every time he saved a penalty really enjoyable um, the bad news for Henderson He's on loan from United, of course, mm-hmm. to Forest, and because they've drawn United in the semi-finals, he can't play. So the EFL rules state that if you're on loan, the parent club has to decide. Okay. And I mean, Henderson is as far as best player at the minute. So yeah. if you're United, you're not letting him play this game, either game, either leg. Um, Wayne Hennessy is the, is the backup keeper for Forest, and uh, last time United played them, I mean, he was at fault for for some goals, some mistakes. So I think United will be licking their lips especially when it's a Dean Henderson-less Nottingham Forest. 
it's just one of those things that mm-hmm. um, it's unfortunate for Dean Henderson because you, you, I mean sometimes you, you hear of parent clubs letting the lone player play just feeling some sympathy for yeah. them and has it been announced yet that if they United haven't, haven't okay. said I, I would be very surprised if United even said anything they're probably mm-hmm. just going to go no no that's the rules we'll just stick with that um, they'd be quite happy because of course United want to get to a uh, a League Cup final. They haven't won a trophy since 2017, which which seems quite remarkable. It'll have been six years since wow, the last yeah, won a trophy. Big time. Uh, but no, I really enjoyed the games last night. There was a, a moment early in the Southampton game where uh, Lianco, I think it was for Southampton, gave gave Jack Grealish a bit of a bit of bit of venom in a tackle, and you're thinking, yeah, Southampton are up for this game. Yeah, like, big time. You, they really did. There was a little bit of energy about them. 100%. From what I see now, but yeah. And as soon as you give you give it like if you're targeting players like Jack Grealish, you know you're up for the game because in, in they look frustrated. Of, Big time. Man City, yeah. They were sort of a little bit of talk back at each other and yeah, they were definitely frustrated about what was going on. Obviously two goals in the first half. Yeah, for not sure. Not ideal, but... We're getting some of the comments on that game into uh, the YouTube channel as well. Damien says, City looked like they expected a walk in the park. Uh, I think that's fair to say. And I mean, judging by Pep's comments, maybe he wasn't expecting a walk in the park because he was expecting them to lose. Uh, Thomas Hunt says, it's Man United's Cup to lose now. I wouldn't be so sure. And Newcastle... Over two legs against Southampton, you'd expect we'll get the job done. A United Newcastle final in the League Cup in Wembley would be something special. Like that's that's the final that people want to see. It's not maybe the top tier final of of, of years gone by, but mm-hmm. uh, all of a sudden there'll be a bit of juice in that. Not to rule out Southampton or Forest causing an upset because if no, absolutely not. No, Southampton can beat City. They can beat anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, John Claffey says, "Imagine Man City not winning a trophy this season after signing Haaland." I mean, <laughs> it'd be quite incredible if Arsenal did go on to win the league. They're now knocked out of the League Cup. If Arsenal knocked them out of the fourth round of the FA yeah. Cup and they didn't win the Champions League, with someone like Haaland and the money you've spent and the expectation levels that are there. Yeah, like I'm loving watching Arsenal at the minute. Right? Yeah, I really am. They're you don't follow a Premier League team. You follow Celtic, but no yeah, Premier League team. I, I like Arsenal, but I wouldn't say now I, I, don't, I don't support Arsenal. Over Soft me, spot. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, no, just loving their football at the minute. And yeah, I think Arteta has done a great job with Fantastic. them. They're just exciting to watch. Yeah. Um, they're definitely all buying into to what he says and the the type of game plan and yeah they're they're doing well like yeah they could go the whole way for sure yeah wouldn't wouldn't put it past them um, mm. uh, so I was sitting in the warmth of my of my living room last night actually watching Monaghan Donegal and you on the other hand were in Ashburn yes Donegal Ashburn came to me it was torrential rain there was a swirling wind yeah it was. O'Burn Cup conditions <laughs> to put it mildly but we actually got to sit inside because the way the, the pitch is in Ashburn there's like a, a glass inside like to look out uh, onto the pitch grand. so you're looking at like Arma or no it's in, uh, in Oma isn't it the, where you have the glass looking out in, in Healy Park um, oh well that's on the far side I've actually side. never been over the far side I'm right. always in where yeah you get in the torrential cold area. rain yeah, yeah. yeah of course you are yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah so it was actually nice so well, I can't complain saying about the conditions um, but for the lads playing the game God you know very very difficult it was 1-7 to 10 points in the end so it was a draw game and in the end Mead had so many chances to, to level the game and they were just constantly hitting wide after wide or losing possession and it was very frustrating to watch and I'd say for Colm O'Rourke, he was very frustrated on the sideline. But it was that swirling wind, like even though it was at their advantage in the second half, yeah, yeah. they almost were kicking the ball too high and it would just swirl and take it. So uh, the few times that they actually hit it a bit lower, it actually worked out a bit better. But yeah, they eventually got the, the draw. So two draws and a win now in the O'Burn Cup. But okay. they're okay. out of, Yeah, they're out of the O'Burn Cup now. It's long for the go through just because they've 100%. Yeah record in it so uh, they go on and yeah positive for them yeah really positive signs they went for the O'Burn Cup you know a yeah, lot of the experienced players and that came back in and 
um, they wanted to get a lot out of it. And Paddy Prissy talked to me after their manager. And he, you know, he really has a lot of respect for for it. We actually have uh, some of your some of your post match audio from that match last night. We'll, yeah. start, we'll start with Paddy Christie, Longford manager. Here he is speaking with Ashley last night. Paddy Christie, a good game out there for Longford. It was a draw in the end against Mead. I suppose you're you're happy enough to come away with that. Uh, we are because we we felt if we could get to a final, it'd be a great achievement for this group. Um, not underplaying ourselves in any way, but like you're starting off in very small little steps here to try and build something. So. To get to a final gives you the last, gives you you can only go as far as Friday in this competition Friday week so that's it then whether we win or lose uh, obviously we'd be trying to win but like it gives us those games to build for the national league and um, because of the the restriction on challenge games for teams before Christmas it's really really important to get those games in like I mean I wouldn't know. I'm not going to lie. I would I, I would have kept an eye on long for football over the years, but I wouldn't know an awful lot about the ins and outs of it. And I suppose I brought in some people to try and give me a bit of a a bit of a background and things. But like you learn an awful lot by playing matches, and even in training, we would have felt certain fellas were underperformer, underperforming or overperforming, and then it turned out in matches it was the other way around. So you only learn that through playing. Yep, Paddy Christie, the Longford manager there, speaking to Ashleen in uh, Ashburn after the, the draw last night in the O'Byrne Cup. Uh, Ashleen, as she said, was also speaking to the Mead manager, Colin O'Rourke. Have a look. The new challenge of Mead manager, was this always an aspiration of yours? Obviously, playing for Mead, did you ever think about becoming the Mead manager? I did about 20 years ago, but certainly not in the last 10 years. I would have said, uh, that's gone, and uh, I didn't apply for the job and didn't look for the job and didn't want the job at this time, and then I had a... Uh, a lot of coaxing from a lot of people. So I'm glad now that I'm doing it. I, uh, I'm really energised by the players and the, the the commitment I have to wearing the county jersey because, you know, sometimes over the last 10 years people will say, ah, oh, the Mead lads aren't committed. Certainly that is not the case. So I, I think we have a very bright future with a committed group. And obviously you've a lot of experience on the Sunday game as a pundit as well. So do you have a bit of an advantage having covered all of these teams in depth? I don't know so much about that. I think the, the main advantage I have is that I've been involved in club management almost for 20 years. I've been involved with a lot of lads who have come through at schools level. So I know most of the players in Mead. And that's the big advantage, I think, of going into the job at this stage. So whether or not I'll be any good at it, we'll, time will tell. But uh, certainly... Uh, uh, the players are not lacking in effort or commitment and I think that's a great starting point. Yeah, me manager Colin O'Rourke speaking with yourself actually. It's such a, a deep me accent he's got. Yeah. <laughs> I know you have a mead accent as well but Colm's is like... Well, I'm yeah, people don't say I have a mead accent. Really? Too. Yeah. It's maybe a toast accent though, is it? Yeah, I'm obviously, I live on the border. There's different such. sides to mead, you see. Yeah, he's obviously way up there, Simonstown. Yeah, right, Navin. right, right. Um, well, that was your first time chatting to Colin? First time chatting to him, yeah. It was great to meet him. I always wanted to, to meet him, obviously. And yeah, lovely, lovely man. And he's enjoying the job. Mm. Um, obviously, I knew that he had aspirations to, to manage me years and years ago. He applied for the job many times. Yeah. He didn't get it. Famously. I, yeah. Um, but I wanted to, to ask him, obviously, just for other people that might have known that and also just to maybe hear about now, did, like, how did it come about? Because he didn't go for the job this time. And obviously, it was other people that spoke to him and sort of got him to, to take it. But positive signs there. Um, he spoke about seeing over 300 players, you know, making sure that the best players are playing for Meath. And yeah, you definitely can see that there's definitely been 
growth I would say it's early stages yet you know um, but yeah you can definitely see positive signs and Paul Gargan is in there from the Mead Ladies as well so um, he's a brilliant tactician his fitness levels all that sort of thing is high on the agenda so I can't wait to see what mark he has on the team and Sean Boylan as well mm. is in and around the, the setup too so Exciting. we have to do something surely yeah I mean with the, the magic man Sean Boylan involved you'd have to yeah. uh, Ashin, tell us briefly you had a a very close call in Umur Park in Port Leash recently in the O'Brien Cup. You, you almost had a sleepover <laughs> in the ground. Tell us about this. Yeah, um, this was at Fossil versus Castletown in the junior. Sorry, not the O'Brien Cup. Yeah, the club. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, the junior uh, semi-final um, of the club action, and obviously I went there with the one agenda of meeting David Clifford and getting the interview. So um, anyway, a lot of people have seen the videos of David Clifford being swarmed on the pitch after the game and that was the case. And I thought to myself then, no chance of getting this interview here, like no way. But I got lucky enough to to get the interview in the end, um, got into where the changing rooms were. And yeah, David was lovely and he came out and spoke to me. But after the game, I went back up to the press area, which I would do at every game that I'm at. I'd go up to the press area and send off my stuff, my notes, the videos, all that sort of thing, back to the guys here at base. And I did think that it was very quiet around the place, but it was a terrible day. <laughs> so, like, yeah, very quiet, actually, as it turned out. Yeah. <laughs> it was a terrible day. There was a lot of wind, rain, like, yeah, not nice conditions. So I just thought, ah, people are going inside or whatever else. Now, there wasn't loads of journalists there because it was a junior game, but it was David Clifford. So, you know, obviously there, there was a few, but yeah, they weren't up in the press area after the game. I thought they might be inside, send their stuff off that way. A lot smarter than me out in the cold. Uh, eventually, anyway, I got my sort of scent and I went down to uh, go back out, out through the gates, out to the car park. Realised the main gate was locked. So grand, walked to the next one, that was locked. Walked to the next one, that was locked. And I was like, hold on. I was like, there's no more gates because I thought it went the right way around in more Park. But no, it's just the the three main ones. And yeah, then panic station started to hit. It was dark at this point. It was hailstoning. And I'm outside and getting absolutely drenched. And I was like, oh, God, there's hardly any cars here either. And the railings are six foot and they had like jagged edges. Because I was thinking if I jump on that bin and maybe try to jump over. And I was like, no, 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 you're going to break your ankle. Yeah, not so, worth the risk. No, not worth the risk. So I seen in the centre of excellence that's next door, there was a tiny light on in the background in there. So I was constantly ringing their phone just to see if anyone would answer. I just Googled the number and no one was answering. So then I thought, okay, I'll start throwing stones at the sorry window. Sorry for laughing here, by the way. But yeah, don't laugh, yeah, Shane. Yeah. It was traumatic. Sorry. Um, so I was throwing stones. I was thinking I'll throw stones at the window. And then I said, no, I'm going to smash the window. No, my luck. So didn't do that. So then I just had to start screaming. So oh my god! <laughs> just imagine you in the in the car park screaming your head off. Yeah. Oh, well, the headlines could have been worse. The off the ball reporter smashes window with rocks. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. But yeah, I just kept screaming, just saying hello, hello, and this man eventually comes to the window. And he's a bit taken back by me at the start because he's like, "What the hell? What's going on?" And then he eventually comes down, and lets me out, and I think he was a bit like, "Geez, sorry about that as well." I didn't even get his name, but. Thank God. Thanks he came to, to my man. rescue. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're glad you got out and, and, and Thanks, safe and home well. Yeah. Uh, uh, 7.50am on this uh, Thursday morning, I know to be a.m., uh, brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Right, going to turn our attention to a big story in rugby, the Owen Farrell story. And to do that, we're joined by the BBC's Chris Jones. Chris, um, this is a bit of a mad one. Um, so it appears, regardless of, of, of the ban, that Owen Farrell will be available for the Six Nations for England. So, so maybe explain to, to us what happened yesterday and, and what's going on generally with the story. 
Yeah, morning, guys. How's it going? Uh, good to be back on. Yeah, it, it's as always with a, a high profile disciplinary case. It's pretty contentious. So Farrell um, committed a high shot towards the end of the Saracens against Gloucester game. It wasn't picked up by the officials at the time or it was seen by the officials, wasn't acted upon for, for various technical reasons. Um, Farrell went and popped the match winning drop goal just to add to the Gloucester fans and players ire. Um, but he got cited for the for the challenge, um, found guilty of, a, of making contact with the heads. So it comes in as a mid-range offence, which is minimum of six weeks. That then came down to four weeks. He wasn't entitled to full 50% mitigation because of his his previous ban in 2020 for a high shot. So he got four weeks, which can then be scrubbed down to three weeks if he um, completes this world rugby kind of tackle school. You know, going through some tackle technique with, with, with coaches and, and trying to work on, on his, uh, on, on his tackle techniques. So he's, he's looking at a three week ban if he commits that. The problem is, is that it, there's then this confusion over what games that includes. It definitely includes the next two rounds of Champions Cup. And then it also includes the game against Bristol at the end of the month. But that's a game that Farrell would never play in, in a month of Sundays because he's going to be in the England squad. But the fact is he hasn't been named in England squads. The panel are saying we can only go off the evidence we've got which is that the England squad hasn't been named yet therefore these are the games and if he completes the tackle course it means he'll miss two Champions Cup one Premiership and be back for England against Scotland Calcutta Cup start of Feb uh, With my tinfoil hat on um, the, the fact that this ban would hypothetically end before the Six Nations begins is there a precedent for the Six Nations trying to, I guess, allow these big players and big names to be available for for the big for the big matches and, and trying to essentially make sure that they are ready and not banned for, for the opener, for example? Yeah, I don't think there's anything in that. Um, the Six Nations have nothing to do with this. Uh, there'll be cynics everywhere he'll be going. This is an RFU kind of stitch up to make sure the Farrell's back. But look, this is an independently chaired panel um, by one of the most experienced lawyers in the country, who, a guy who's got no particular affiliation to England rugby and to the RFU. Um, is he going to jeopardise decades and decades of of reputation to try and get Owen Farrell to play against Scotland? I don't think there's anything like that at play whatsoever. I think it's more just an unfortunate quirk and the unfortunate reality that because of the crossover of fixtures that we know dog rugby, you know, the overlap between club and country, you have a situation where a load of England players would miss a premiership game because they'd be tucked away in camp. Um, however, you've also got a situation where the England squad hasn't been named. So the panel are just going off the evidence they have. In an ideal world, you'd love it to happen like this. The panel to ring up the England head coach and go, look, is Owen Farrell going to be in your squad on Monday? He goes, yeah, of course he is. It's Owen Farrell. The panel therefore go, okay, he's never going to play in that January game, the end of Jan. No England player who's in the starting 23 ever plays in that game. Ever, ever, ever. The odd player may have gone back years ago for game time, but in general, they're tucked away in camp. They never play. And in that situation, you'd go, okay, this game cannot count because Farrell wouldn't have played in it. Therefore, the third game of his ban has to be England against Scotland. That's what would happen in an ideal world. But there's lots of precedent. Carl Sinclair, Nathan Hughes, um, Joe Marler. The cases a few years ago where clubs have argued that these matches do count and clubs have argued, hold on, 
It's not for you to say whether he's going to be picked for England. It's not for you to say how we select our, our team. It's not for you to say whether Owen Farrell would be involved. So it does put the panel in a pretty invidious situation. I think rather than this being anyone's particular fault or there be someone who cynically wants Farrell involved, it's just one of those unfortunate um, quirks of, of, of rugby governance, rugby structures, which means that, that Farrell might, and it's not a done deal yet if he gets named in the England squad, there is the... The possibility the panel can go, hold on, this doesn't look right. He's got to be banned for another game, not that January one. Um, but the, at, at the time of, of speaking, the panel are going, look, here's the evidence we've got. These are the games he's banned for. And if it means he's back for England-Scotland, that's more of a coincidence than any kind of, of sinister, um, deliberate attempt to get the England captain or potential England captain back for the big game. And Chris, do you think that it that it makes a mockery of the disciplinary process at all? I think where, where the disciplinary process action is, is under scrutiny is just the kind of complication of it all. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, trying to explain here how the band's gone from six weeks or six games to three, then to four with tackle school back to three. All of these bits of mitigation, all of these aggravate, aggravating factors, time off for good behavior, time on for bad behavior, time off for good record, time off for good record. It just probably alienates the casual fan who, who, who's going, hold on, can Owen Farrell play for England against Scotland? Yes or no? And the fact is, we think he can, but we still don't know. There is some something in the regulations that says if there's a change in circumstances, now England squad selection might not be that change of circumstances, but the panel might have a right, or the RFU disciplinary might have a right to go, hold on, Owen Farrell's been banned for four matches down to three with a tackle course. He's only going to really serve two because only missing two games he would have played in. And the RFU do have the jurisdictions, then go, hold on, it's uh, it's a much better look if the ban actually is a proper ban that encapsulates games he would have played in. So I don't know. I don't think it's a mockery of the system in, in, in the fact that Farrell's got too lenient a ban. I don't think that's a tackle worth particularly more than three or four games. There have been a lot worse tackles, getting fewer games, uh, getting, you know, you, you could have a long conversation about whether there should be sterner across the board. But based on the regulations, based on recent precedent, that's that, that's probably a roundabout fair. He's trying to hinge the hips. He's crouching a bit. He's just going in with a bit too much force with his shoulder and a couple of inches too high. But it's not a, a, a really terrible tackle that should see Farrell ruled out for the Six Nations. So from that point of view, I think the ban is roundabout fair. But the whole mechanism of how the panel get there, how it's relayed to the public via us, that's all something that definitely can be improved, I think. I guess that's the confusion really, Chris, isn't it? The, the How they got there and, and the mitigating factors that you mentioned, just looking at some of them here. So the panel reasoned one bad tackle back in 2016 shouldn't be considered as it happened too far back to mm. see Farrell listed as a repeat offender. Uh, and then, of course, there's other, uh, his good conduct at the hearing uh, as well was mentioned in a reference from his coach. Uh, Mark McCall went in his favour, as did Farrell calling the, the, the player, the Gloucester player, to, to apologise. So uh, I guess the mitigating factors is something that has raised a few eyebrows, but I guess that's the way in which the panel got to their conclusion in the end. Yeah, and, and, and those are the, those are the law, laws, those are the, the regulations. You might not like the fact that pretty much every ban immediately leads to 50% mitigation. You might not like that, and I can definitely understand why people wouldn't like that. But the reality is a lot of bans, the vast majority, do get halved. 50% mitigation because of a guilty plea or good conduct at the hearing or a good recent record. Farrell hasn't got this 50% mitigation because of the tackle he made on Charlie Atkinson in 2020. He's not got the 50%. The six has come down to four rather than down to three. So anyone going that Owen, anyone going, 
oh, Owen Farrell, his previous hasn't come into it. That's not true. It has. It's added a week slash added a game onto his ban. You could say he needs to go back to 2016. That is a long time ago now. You could say, oh, no, it's Owen Farrell. He's always tackling high. He's always tackling recklessly. Well, there is that school of thought, and Owen Farrell seems to wind fans up, especially outside England, like no other player really in this part of the world. However, the panel can't go, oh, he's got a bad rep on social media. Let's give him another week. The reality is, or the facts are, he's got one ban in his career in 2016. That was retrospective. He's got one ban in 2020. He's got this ban now. And it started to cost him because it's added a week on. And if he commits another one in the next, say, five years, which will be the rest of his career, he won't get that extra two weeks mitigation. He might get one week. It might be aggravating and, and add another one on. So, yeah, it, it is ever so slightly catching up with Farrell. I do understand why there's frustration out there that, that Farrell has got a bit of a track record. Um but equally, the panel can't just look at, at the angst on social media and, and bring that into their deliberations. They've got to go, look, when has the guy been banned? We've got to trust the disciplinary process. Like it or not, the panel just have to go off the process and the precedent. Here's the one ban. That doesn't count. It's nine years ago or whatever. Um, or, or, yeah, long time ago, seven years ago. This one's more recent. That does count. And here's today. So, yeah, I, I completely understand about the messaging. I completely understand about the process needing perhaps an overhaul. But the panel are only going off what the, the, the regulations are. And that's how they've got to this conclusion. And Chris, do we know what tackling school looks like for these players? Like, I find it quite hard to understand, obviously, professional players. You know, Owen is 31 years of age, playing a long time to go to tackling school at this part of his career. (laughs) Does he learn anything? Does he really change his game? I suppose it's a bit like us going on a a, a driving course or a speed awareness course. You know, when you've been driving 20 years, you probably shouldn't need to be told how to do that. But yeah, I I, I suppose what we can't, and I've seen this argument made really well across various platforms, we can't lament players' technique um, in this era where clearly everyone is incredibly um, conscious of high tackles, of head contact and of the um, debilitating consequences of concussions and brain injury. We can't lament technique. And then when there is um, something brought in to try and improve technique, you know, dismiss it as being, you know, a little bit trivial or, 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 or a little bit futile. I think on the whole, it, you know, they're not sitting in a classroom as such. They're going and working with a coach, showing some videos, talking through their technique. I know a few people have done it. And actually, the reoffending rate is pretty low. So, yeah, I think we've maybe got to give this tackling school initiative a bit of a chance. I do understand why people are saying, oh, it's just a way to reduce bands, mitigation, tackle school. A six-week tackle comes down to two. I definitely see that argument. And I definitely see the argument that it's getting really confusing about what counts as meaningful matches. Unions, clubs, I mean, trying to game the system for ages on this trying to say oh that's a a seven aside game we're playing in training that's meaningful and the panel have to be really really careful not to fall for that for that trick and there have been a few instances in england of a player um getting off you're getting a two-week ban and then arguing that two matches in the same week both count they've never played in both so that's something the panel have always got to be aware of but when it comes to tackling school yeah i think maybe we've got got to give it a chance and he is 31 and i suppose on the one hand we can't go he needs to improve his technique but also say, oh, here's here's something that's come in to try and improve his technique. Let's just, just, just throw it out the window. So we'll see how it goes and we'll see if it has any bearing on Farrell's technique in the future. Chris, great stuff as always. Really appreciate the time. Thanks a million for joining us. No problem. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Great stuff. Chris Jones there, BBC's rugby union correspondent. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic and um, I know the lads discussed it on, on Wednesday Night Rugby last night. Uh, Gordon Darcy even saying how... Uh, and we spoke about it in the production meeting this morning, how he m- remembers being tackled by both Farrell and Johnny Wilkinson and how they're 
slightly smaller in stature than some of the players that you'll be tackling, so they just naturally tackle higher mm-hmm. to have more of an impact. Yeah. You can't... It's not really a mitigating factor either, do you know? that, And yet, tackle school, as you say, it's not going to change his... No, he's technique. obviously playing in a way for his strengths of his size and look, he's he's one of the, the best players for a long time at mm. this point. Um, so it's it's worked for him to, for an extent, but it's obviously catching up with him a little bit. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I just can't see tackle school really having a massive effect on someone's game at this point in their career. Yeah, it's funny. I just think the mitigating factors are a bit ridiculous. Every player now knows if you have a few of those things going for you, if you apologise and, and there's mitigating factors that you can immediately nearly cut your, your ban in half. So yeah, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's why I asked the question about does it make it a mockery of it? It just... Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion coming away from it. We still don't know what game he is or isn't going to play. You know, it's not very clear. Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. Uh, 8.03 a.m. on this Thursday morning's OTB a.m. Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB. Start the new year off with a delicious Brayburn oat milk coffee. January never tasted so good. And we're joined uh, after this very short break with the return of You Had to Be There with none other than the Kilkenny legend himself, Tommy Welch. See you in a sec. It's so unexpected. It's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently genuinely did change everything about my life. You had to be there. Yes, indeed. It is the latest episode of You Had to Be There, where we have a different person from the world of sport ordinarily to talk about five of the sporting moments they witnessed in person and the, that stuck with them, the performances that, that stood out on those days. Tommy Welsh, Kilkenny legend, good morning to you. How are things? Yeah, good morning, Shane. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning, Tommy. Tommy, your, your list is, uh, has, has got me excited here. There's, there's a few absolute belters in here. Um, We'll get straight into it. So you're, you're kicking off your You Had to Be There segment with uh, PJ Ryan's performance uh, in the 2009 All-Ireland Final, of course, Kenny beating Tip. This was a man-of-the-match performance from PJ. It was, Shane. And um, I suppose thinking back on picking, trying to pick five and the amount of games, uh, I'd say probably going to games and train sessions and playing for the last 30 years, probably over 3,000 games and train sessions, so the pick five was going to be exciting. <laughs> so I tried to break them all down, I suppose, to a more narrow, I suppose. Um, and PJ Ryan, I went with the county side first. So it was PJ Ryan and DJ Carey. Now, DJ Carey was the 1997 all quarter final, just quickly. And um, Kenny were getting beaten by nine pints at half time. And this is when scoring, it wasn't at the heights it is now, 29 pints, 30 pints. Ordinarily, it was probably 10, 15 points were scored in them days. And they came back and DJ scored 2-8. And he was just incredible to beat Galway below in Turles. So it was between him and PJ Ryan, but I went with PJ. 2009 All-Ireland Final. I suppose the quality of the opposition was just top class. You had Lara Carbett, you had Shamey Callanan, you had Owen Kelly. So like who he had to take on three man the match in that final it was just incredible. And I often say and thank him when I see him. For the All Ireland medal, I said, <laughs> that was All Ireland medal is, is your medal, and um, no, it was an unbelievable performance. You know, and I suppose it's a great lesson for all young fellas as well. He had to wait and wait, and um, it was later on in his career when he, you know, made his debut. Um, like he had to wait for James McGarry, who was, you know, a top class goalie for Kenny for probably ten years, and he waited and waited and waited, and you know, his his persistence paid off because. You know, in American sports, Shane talked about clutch. Like, this was clutch for PJ because he lives right in the Tipperary border. Mm. No, the right in Tipperary, if they rewind back, we hadn't beaten them previous to that in an All-Ireland final. We played them in 1991. It was my first All-Ireland to go to. Ended in sheer disappointment. You know, Michael Cleary was probably the star of that Tipperary team. 
Declan or not Declan Ryan but the Bonners and you know Bobby Ryan so I think it was 1967 when we beat him in an honour and final last and here was 2009 like the, the I suppose the tension the build up the pressure around the borders I live in the border as well it was unbelievable you know what I mean lads down the graveyard and um, <laughs> yeah his, the saves like you have to say Tipperary hurled brilliant on that day only for I suppose PJ you know, it was just top class. It's funny because, as you say, like um, PJ's a Fenians club man, so right there on the border with Tipperary, and uh, like I think I was reading him speaking about about the game afterwards, where he said, even as a kid growing up as a Kilkenny youngster, you'd be in your dreams, running around even in in, in your back garden, and you, always when you imagine scoring that winning point in an All Ireland final, or, or in PJ's case, making a, an All Ireland winning save. It's it's against Tipperary in your in your in your dreams, you know, and yet 2000, before two thousand nine, there hadn't been a final between the two of you, as you said, for for so long. So it must have made it all the more special. Oh, it was incredible because like Tipperary had the upper hand on us, like you had that great Tipperary team in the sixties, you know, Hell's Kitchen and John Dyle and you know Jimmy Dyle. They were just an outstanding team, that Tipperary team of the sixties, you know, and I suppose they went away for a bit then, you know, during probably the seventies and eighties. So it was only the late eighties Tipperary came back. And then the rivalry, I suppose, you know, was was, was it resurfaced in '91. The beat is again after so long, you know. And we were on top for for, for a couple of years, you know. And to play in 2009, like I remember in the in the in the I was good friends with Peter. I remember in the the Crown Plaza before the game, we used to go to Crown Plaza, and um, this could be probably around 11 o'clock. They have an All Ireland final, All Ireland final half three, and the two of us, everyone went out for a few pucks, and we were the last kind of at the table, and we couldn't even drink our soup. Like, that was the ten- tension that was there. That was the pressure. That was the nerves. But, like, they're good. Like, all sports people will tell you, like, you're probably at your best when you're at, when you're, when you're, at your most nervous because you're just focused. It's so singular. You're so focused on that moment in time. The next ball, you're not thinking about the cup. You're not thinking about the celebrations. You're not thinking about winning or losing. You're just thinking about that moment in time when you have to win the ball. And, you know, I'm seven pages just sitting looking at each other, barely able to talk. And we kind of laughed at about it as well. And uh, for him to go on then and do what he he done then was just incredible. And I'm so happy for him, like you know, because he put so much into it. And what was he like, I suppose, uh, as a person, Tommy? He always came across quite understated as a player. Yeah, no, he was a great character. PJ was great for the one-liners, and you know, he'd always be trying to be beside him on nights out because he'd have great fun. Like I went over to. Celtic, great momentum, two, trip, two, two trips over to see Celtic play uh, over in Glasgow and Celtic Park and just great character. Um, as you said, he is quite probably in a group, Ashling, mm. but um, no more than all the other Johnstone lads, you know, great fun when, when he gets going. Uh, your next pick, Tommy, is a, is, a, is a fairly famous one and I'm sure this was a difficult one for you to, to remember and recall, but Lark Orbit's performance for, for Tipperary in the 2010 All-Ireland Final, of course, the three goals uh, in that game, September 5th, 2010, tip 4-17, Kilkenny 1-18 in that All-Ireland Final, um, uh, ruining Kilkenny's five-in-a-row dreams. Um, fair play to you, Tommy, you're, you're a bigger man than me, <laughs> uh, being able to re- recall this and talk about it. <laughs> Well, I hear, see, hear Michael Verney before in, in the intro saying, uh, you know, as a, you have to be there, like, but I wish I wasn't there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, ah, listen, our carbon. And, you know, like, you know, the 2012, you know, the in, between myself and himself in the other semi final, like, that's often, you know, a reference. And, um, you know, it's, I'd be a bit uneasy about it because 
like Lark Harbour should be remembered about all the unbelievable performance he put in, especially in Crow Park. So it was a nine all Ireland final, he was outstanding as well, even though you know we won that day. But Lar was brilliant that day as well. Thousand and ten final then, I suppose. We were going for the five in a row, as you said, Shane. The hottest of favourites, ten thousand people at our training sessions. You know, Kerry had the great Kerry Golden Years team had went for the bomber and you know, uh you know, um I suppose Jack O'Shea, Pat Spillane, Mikey Sheehy, John Eek, and like all the legendary players, you know, and we were the next team to, to become the team that could, you know, to win it, you know, if that Kerry, the great Kerry team couldn't do it, that we were going to do it. And we couldn't, you know, and Larry Carver, I was just outstanding, you know, and <laughs> I suppose tactics changed, Shane, as well. We were used to playing in our position zone defending, and um, that finally, it just didn't work. He, he wasn't marking one man. And we were a brilliant team. Like, again, you know, when PJ Ryan, you know, gave him the nod in the last one because the quality of the opposition were so good. Well, the same with Lar, like, like he came up against brilliant defenders. You had Noel Hickey, you had JJ, you had Michael Cavanagh, Jackie Turl, you know, John Tennyson. Like, he was coming up against the, the cream of the crop and still produced three goals in the Ireland final. Like, I'd say probably the last person to do it, I think, was Tommy O'Connell from Clare back in the, or from Kilkenny against, back in the 50s against Watford. So, you know, an achievement that was just, you know, surpassed anything probably that had had gone on in previous years and every one of his goals was was he had to use a different skill to do it and uh, no fair play to him you know he was an outstanding outstanding player and you know a gentleman off the field and you know as Michael Verney said you you really did have to be there to see that you know I'd say as a neutral it must have been great to watch Mad, like because Corbett started at eleven in that game, didn't he? And eventually moves to the edge of the square. And as you say, someone of the stature of of Noel Hickey, um, you know, to outperform him is is quite the achievement. So it probably puts the performance in a bit of context as well, Tommy. Yeah, it, it does, Shane. And it wasn't just say he he was roaming everywhere that day. Like, yeah, so it wasn't just centre forward and full forward. He was on all of us. I'd say different stages. <laughs> Got a you know probably a goal off probably three different fellas. And, um, you know, Noah McGrath gave, gave him a great pass for the second one. Shane McGrath gave long ball for the first one. And, um, you know, like, in, when I was looking at it, like, just to put it into perspective, like, the one performance that had up against it was Brian Whelan's performance in, in the 1998 All-Ireland Final. Um, Brian Whelan, by all accounts, he was man the match in five All-Ireland Finals, would you believe, Shane? And uh, an incredible statistic, it, you know, and in that final, he had the flu coming up to Brian Whelan. And um, Brian Whelan, or Brian McAvoy, Tots McAvoy was kind of, you know, giving him a roast in, a, in the first 20 minutes. Brian Whelan was wing back uh, and Brian McAvoy was wing forward. So they had to put him up in the forwards because he had the flu. He was so good, he didn't want to take him off. He ended up at 1-6, 1-3 from play. <laughs> and, you know, obviously it was a big shock at the time to Kenny were raging half favourites that absolutely, you know, trounced him in the Leinster final. But um, so that's what this Lara Carver performance was up against, and didn't just pick this one up out of the air like a tall, long and hard about it. And um, yeah, it's just, just he was brilliant that day, Lara. I'm trying to think back to the goals, but I think it was the second one, Tommy, where there's maybe like five or six defenders chasing. How he didn't get hooked or blocked, I don't know. He still managed to get the ball away and into the back <laughs> of the net. You did. We even trying to hurl that match. Then. Yes, yes, you did. <laughs> you were afraid to say it. I said, say it. That was that was the first goal, I think. Was yeah, it? Yeah, that was on the second half. The second one, the first one was a long ball. He caught. Oh, he caught. Uh, yeah, his uh, hands. Yeah. yeah. Second one, Noel McGrath gave him a lovely pass, but 
this was Damon O'Shea kind of, you know, it was his kind of coaching that year. Like, before that final, you go back to the teams of the 80s, the 90s, the 1000s, it was all about winning your own ball. It was all about being the bigger man, uh, man v man. Towards Damon O'Shea brought into this, why do we have to all, you know, think the same way? Probably looking at other sports. Let's bring movement into it. So back in the day, like moving was, are you afraid of your man? Stand beside him, you know. That was the, you know, the old school way of thinking about hurling. That it was all about being tough and that. But he brought a different way of thinking, a different mentality. So that's a brave team was moving all the time. They were never standing beside you. So Lar, he probably no one's seen him. The ball came into Norm McGrath. He won it. So they were probably all chasing Norm McGrath. But Lar off he went, and um, he got the pass and, and put it in the back of the net and. They learned massively, listened to their interviews um, after 2010. They learned massively from 2009 as well, Ashling, in that they all went in 2009 to PJ Ryan's good side, which was saving over to the, you know, to his, say, to PJ Ryan's left, to, to, as you're looking at PJ Ryan to his right. But in the 2010 final, they all went the other side. So he had to swing back his hurl to try and save, which should take an extra probably half a second or a second. So I'd say a huge thought went into that 2010 final. Um, geez, I hadn't even realised Brian Whelan was, was man of the match in five All-Irelands. Uh, a big game player, you'd almost say he's the, maybe the part G song of hurling, but um, we'll lock it into that conversation. <laughs> oh, we'll park that one there. <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, Tommy, you're a man after my own heart with the next one. Uh, you, you've thrown a snooker one in there, which I'm absolutely delighted with. So, Ken Doherty, <laughs> opening your local snooker hall. Let's, uh, let's spend an hour on this one, shall we? <laughs> Shane is buzzing here. <laughs> Well, I would rather if the man himself was here and uh, was able to give uh, his recollection because I was kind of going down Shane. I knew Shane. I knew, you know, Ken Doherty, world champion, has all the awards and all the achievements that that he has done for the last 20 or 30 years. But didn't know, I suppose, a whole lot deeper about the man or about the sport. And um, so we went down anyway. We were back opening up our local hall there last, last year, about four or five months ago. And uh, they were opening up, opening up the, the snooker hall or, or the billiard hall. And um, they brought down Ken Doherty, which is a major coup for, for the parish. So we all turned up to see him and to supposed to, so, to support the hall. And um wasn't really expecting anything other than, you know, seeing lad put a few shots. But the stories that he, you know, he was absolutely outstanding. Just real old school Dublin, you know, the old school Dublin stories. And um, <laughs> we were laughing for two, for two hours. And um, about the performance itself then, like, I was kind of there and they just asked me, would I, just on the night, I wasn't expecting to play. And uh, they just asked me, to, would I play him in, in kind of an exhibition? And I was a bit embarrassed, to be honest about it, because, you know, I played probably snooker once or twice in, in my lifetime. Played a bit of pool, all right, but... And um, so I was getting up a bit hesitant and kind of didn't really want to play. And I just, because I'd rather for maybe someone that was, like you, Shane, maybe loved the game, got their chance to play against Ken. But listen, I got up anyway... And I just kind of half put in a throwaway comment. I said, listen, I'll take nine or ten shots and someone else can step in then, you know. <laughs> and um, Ken let me break anyway. So I had my cool head on anyway. So I just absolutely smashed him. Which you know? <laughs> 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 yeah. is not the thing, thing to do when you're playing Ken Doherty in snooker. So with that, he popped every single ball. So I didn't get one more shot. <laughs> At least you can you can say that you played against a world snooker champion, which is impressive enough in itself, Tommy. I, am I right in saying I'm after a quick Google there? Am I right in saying your birthday is the fifth of May, Tommy? 
No, Google is wrong. 27th. 27th, I was going to say, because Wikipedia has done. I, I, I was getting excited there because it said your birthday was the 5th of May, and literally Ken Doherty won the world title on the 5th of May, so that would have been your 14th birthday. But, uh, I yeah, think it was you on the 5th of May. It was, it was all, it was all <laughs> right. Two weeks yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably remember Ken winning the, winning the, uh, the World Snooker title, and you were, you were approaching 14. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and like. That time, I suppose, you know, you had Steve Davis, Steve Henry. Steve Henry was the king around that time when I was watching, you know, snooker. It's like Wimbledon, like the tennis. You kind of watch it when the, the darks, you watch it when the worlds are on. You don't watch it for 12 months a year. <laughs> and yeah, we were so proud of him that time. Like, you know, for, for an Irish lad to become world champion was incredible, you know. And, um, you know, we were probably sad at the time too with Jimmy White. You know, them years, losing all them finals as well. It was, there was so much stories and so much character to the sport. But uh, definitely, you know, with Stephen Henry, so 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 good and so powerful. Probably like Limerick at the moment in the senior hurling, or you know, Dublin where a few few years ago in the football, so dominant. And to to see Ken win that in '97 was, you know, a proud moment for all his Irish. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, really, really impressive achievement, and one that probably gets forgotten about maybe in the in the grand scheme of things in history that we had a world champion and. In a sport that that uh, at that t- at that time was huge, you're, as you mentioned, uh, Tommy, you're coming off the back of the eighties and the Black Ball final eighty five and Taylor and Davis and eighteen and a half million people watching. So, it's not that long after that. I know twelve years on when when uh, Ken wins the world title in eighty seven. But uh, yeah, by all accounts, a lovely guy. We had Ronan O'Gara on uh, recently. He was talking about his love of darts and uh, watching the Ali Pali, and he's uh, he's made a call out to try and get a an OTB bus to go over to Ali Pali now in December for a bit of a road show I don't know if you've ever been to the Crucible Tommy you've been over a couple of times myself but maybe maybe in May we could get uh, myself and yourself and a few others on board on a bus and, and cover the snooker <laughs> as well yeah give me a shout maybe up for that <laughs> I know it's right in the middle of the championship but Sherlock you can miss one game for a bit of snooker uh, <laughs> there's no risk um, Tommy your next pick on uh, you had to be there the fourth pick the penultimate pick is uh, Owen Larkin's performance in the 2011 county final talk us through this one yeah, and this is probably one of the, t- the toughest and uh, probably produced um, the best choice, really. Um, like I was going back, this I was looking at the club scene, you know, as I said, probably, you know, 3,000 games and training sessions, big outperforms, there were so many of them. Like thinking of the local club guys, like Johnny Butler from over the road and Bally Callan, our near neighbours. When I was watching Harland, he was giving performances from corner back that were just out of this world, like Paul Murphy did for Kilkenny. For, for so many years like Sean Finn is doing for Limerick but jo- uh, Johnny Butler was just incredible and you could have probably picked many of his performances there was John Marnell another local club inside in town the borough full back he, this guy was an inspirational figure Shane like uh, Brian Lohan so mm. when he did that and the whole crowd and the whole team it probably was like a goal or it was like a pint <laughs> um, Lester Ryan often spoke about Lester of what a great leader and captain he was and influenced probably on me in my later years well his brother Liam was one of the best club hurlers I've ever seen. Like, he always produces four, five, six points from Clara and is still doing it. Not sure what age he is now, 33 or 34, I'd say, and he's still doing it year after year. But the greatest performance that I have seen, and probably in any great inter-county club or any sport even, and that's to take in the Pelés, the Ronaldo's, the Messi's, was Larkin's performance in that 0-11 county final. Um, to give you a bit of background behind it, Shamrock's, I'd say Ballyhill Shamrocks would have been probably hot favourites at the time. They had all the stars, the Chad, the Henrys, McFinley, you know, Eamon Welsh, uh, Joey Holden, I'd say was young probably back that time, probably out in the wing. And um, they were just, you know, Colin Fenley and 
the village or you know a big town team town teams will always have a chance but Ballyhill hot favourites and the village were winning the, 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 the drawn game and I think Ballyhill got a late score to uh, draw it and looked like James Stevens had blown their chance uh, replay came then and um, Jackie and Colin Fenley you know they, they, they went off basically you know after I'd say probably four, 20 minutes to go maybe or, or that and it looked like Jackie was inspirational at that time. Like he, he, he was just incredible for the village. Like no one could go, come near him. And when he went off, it was like, listen, that's their chance gone now. Uh, Ballyhale will, will tip on. And up stepped on Lark and Shane. And just, you know, he scored one eleven that day, probably one three or one four from play. But that probably doesn't do him justice. He, you kind of, as Vernie says, it's just about, you had to be there just to soak it up, to embrace it, to appreciate it. Just every ball he won, he won a free. Every ball he won, he made a pass that ended up in a score or he scored himself. And, um, you know, it was just out of this world. And, um, you know, Niall Rigney was over him at the time. A tough, tough character. Niall, he was over the village. They were a tough team. They played a tough that year. And um, he was kind of the, you know, the Messi, I suppose. You know, the Argentina in this World Cup are a tough team as <laughs> well. <laughs> And then he was the finesse, Messi. Well, Larky was the finesse, along with the toughness. It was like DJ, like he wouldn't be going around jostling lads or, or you know, acting the big lad or anything like that. But bravery, toughness, there was no one probably braver or tougher than, than Larky, you know, or, or DJ for that matter. But th- that's the performance he put in that day and it was just blew everyone's mind, you know. It's mad how you say, as you say, Bally Hill Shamrocks were the favourites and yet 120 to 15 is the final score, <clears throat> an eight point win for James Stevens. As you say, one eleven of that one twenty for Owen Larkin is, is quite a remarkable achievement in a, in a county final replay at senior level. Um, sounds like the second half was was fairly exciting as well. Even at the start of the second half, uh, just reading here, both sides reduced to fourteen men. Bit of a skirmish. Jackie Terrell and Colin Fenley both sent off by the referee Eamon Mansfield. So uh, the the second thirty minutes certainly serving up a, a bit of a cracker by the sound of things. Yeah, Eamon Mansfield doesn't usually send off. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, you know, usually lets it flow, and but yeah, the two lads went, and like his goal, even um, that day, like he, he got the ball, and I'd say there was probably probably seven or eight Ballyhale lads around him, and just mm-hmm. in he went with Larky, like he was famous for his little solo run that he just weaved in and weaved out, like you know, when Messi gets the ball, he's able to control it, and just like you know, school hurling, like schoolyard soccer. Just no one can take the ball off him. Larky's goal in that final was was like that. Like how he got in and, he, and even how he got the ball off in the end, how he wasn't hooked because I often reference the Ballyhay lads. They are the greatest players and team that I've ever seen to hook and block. Just the skill of it. Never mind the work rate or the intensity. The skill of, of perfecting the art of hooking and blocking. And they couldn't. And there was about six or seven lads around him. But he only went in his little hazy solar on him. Uh, bounced the ball straight into the corner of the net and you know he oh, he gave it was a performance for the ages really Shane you know and the whole stadium you know the way a player steps up in 10 minutes maybe and wins a game but this wasn't like that this was like every ball he won that no <laughs> one went right you know? yeah. one of those yeah. performances yeah players are untouchable it happens it. Even that goal like it, there was a little bit of a ruck I think before that and it was popping around and he managed still to get in get low get the ball get out and they're all chasing him just yeah remarkable yeah. he was a talented talented Phil Ashing even he's a brilliant soccer player Larky and um, uh, Shane even the snooker 
Like um, I would the naughty naughty Kenny's David Morris. Like David Morris would have been on the pro circuit there uh, for for a while. He'd have a few titles there. Yeah, yeah. An excellent player, you know. And um, he I think Larky played him in a in a local county final. In the snooker. In the snooker, yeah. Larky's a brilliant snooker player. Yeah. Unreal. I my respect for Owen Larkin. It was already high, but it's just <laughs> skyrocketed through the roof. Let yeah. me tell you. Uh, yeah, but you often find with these guys that they're brilliant at all sports. Like, mm. wasn't Tom Brady brilliant at was a baseball? Michael Jordan was brilliant at baseball. These guys seem to they can play any sport. Like we were up, at, I often told a story about up in Karen House when we were training for probably an All Ireland or Leinster, and um, you know we had a bit of downtime. We used to you know play a few sports, but we had a big penalty shootout. Um, David Hersey used to organise and used to get a great prizes off Sean Swan from Swan's, Ele- Swan's Electrical there in Carlo. And, um, you know, the <laughs> prize might be a microwave or a washing machine. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, what were the prizes? <laughs> yeah, oh, there were brilliant fr- prizes. Uh, you know, our group was even called that time Swan's Electrical, you know, because uh, we appreciated it. There were massive prizes, but they were funny as well. You know, if you win the penalty shoe, you win a microwave. Or, <laughs> and David Hersey was brilliant. You know, he was brilliant for team spirit and morale. And, um, so he organised that with, with, with Swans Electrical and um, who won it, would you say? If you're to one guess, who won the penalty shootout? Between all the Kilkenny lads? Yeah. It was oh. yourself, was it? No, Shefflin. Oh, I was right. going to say, yeah, Henry, all the way. I was looking for a surprise winner there. I was going. I was backing <laughs> no. Tommy. Right. No, I was just trying to back. <laughs> Surprise winner, thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't known for your penalties necessarily, do you know. Uh, yeah, Jesus, Shefflin, good man from a dead ball, to be fair. But even when you were saying uh, that so many of the, the great sports people are good at loads of sports, so what else were you good at, Tommy? Oh, this was very good at. just the hurling, I think. <laughs> Don't be modest now, Tommy, come on. <laughs> Playing billiards, we had a billiards tournament there. It was the two weeks so I was playing the local publican trucker there, and the first twenty minutes, the only scores we got were fouls. <laughs> so, billiards, <laughs> Jesus, a yeah. Foul billiards, where he actually missed the ball. <laughs> billiards, for anyone who doesn't know, is uh, it's essentially pool without the without the pockets. So you're 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 talking angles, and you must be a good man for for getting a snooker then in the in 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 the pool. You know, yeah, to work out your angles, I suppose billiards is um is crucial. If you have a billiards background, you're going to be be automatically a better pool player or snooker player. Yeah, the billiards is a brilliant sport, yeah. So I used to play it, say, back in my father's time, like, and them lads are kind of coming to the top here in this local tournament, you know. <laughs> they grew up, and we grew up with PlayStations and, you know, computers. They grew up in the local billiards halls and snooker halls. But, yeah, playing billiards, so there's three balls, you know, you have the two white balls, one white dot and a red ball, and you're trying to hit one your ball off the other two balls or hit it off one of them and into the into the pocket. So, geez, it's a brilliant game, and it's fast. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, unreal. Didn't realise that. Uh, fair play, Tommy. And th- the last one on your uh, your had to be there list. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, Ashley and myself were discussing this one before the show. I hadn't been Loved familiar it. with this story. Shane Hennessy, Tuller Owen, under fourteen, fail at national All Ireland group stage against Mount Zion. Uh, fair to say, Shane Hennessy had his um, his score and hurl with him that day. He did. He did. And um, and you know, again, to put into perspective, regards had it up against so this is the local one the Tullerome one really and um, had it up against the last time we won the county final was 1994 and Liam Keown was just you know heroic in that final the, the end score was 166 points it would be Dixborough in the county final that was the last time we won it and Liam Keown in the second half he came out late he had two either bruised ribs or broken ribs and he scored a pint from 100 yards and this guy was going around kind of like Larkin in that 11 county final diving blocks 
He was, you know, blocking lads with his hands. It was just an incredible performance. They all played great that day, you know. And um, in, you know, my uncle Dick was there, and whenever they were saying they knew they were going to win it, when he was quiet, Dick would have been quiet, but I think he would have got a shot of one of the borough lads. And just really quietly, in his own words, someone heard him saying, "War has been declared," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and we were that they won that final, but. So just to put it into perspective, that's what this Shane Hennessy performance was up against. A truly heroic performance in the history of our club. But we played Kilmallock. So do you remember Andrew Shockness? He used to play for um, Limerick. Mm. Um, he was a couple of years younger than us. So he was really small. And we played, um, we stayed in Pilltown, who would have been down south of Kenny. And the fail at that time, is you went off and stayed in the, in, in, it was in Watford at that time. But we were staying in Pilltown they were saying Kilmallock were saying in Mount Sign so we were in a group of four and the top team went through out of the group stages into the I think it was the quarterfinals or the semi-finals so we were the two favourites ourselves in Kilmallock we both won our morning games handsomely enough so the middle game I think was in Mount Sign and it was a titanic battle and it was a draw so and Shockness he was corner forward he's brilliant you know and uh, went on to be brilliant now our lad handled him Jerry O'Dea handled him very well that day I'm not sure if he scored, but Shockers, he went on to be an absolute star. I during the week, you know, winning Hartley Cups. I think he's back involved with that as well. And brilliant player for Limerick. But that Kilmallock team is a super team. So it went to the last round. And they played first. And they played Pilltown. And they won by whatever they won by. So we were playing Mount Sign then at about half seven or seven o'clock. Dirty, wet evening out in Pilltown. And uh, we to win be 33 points. So realistically, we were kind of, you know, listen, you always think you have a chance, Ashling, but probably we we felt it was going to be up against it. And Shane Hens scored 11-4. So it's just outrageous. (laughs) 11-4? 11 goals and 4 points. We needed 33 points, 11-4. Even 4-11 would have been unbelievable, but 11-4. 11-4, like, and... Like even, you know, say if you had to win off at half time after scoring maybe five three, you'd say a fair play to him, he did his put in his shift, but to score eleven four and you know, I often talk about how matches they're not necessarily won in the last five minutes, they could be won in the first five minutes. Well, you know, we went on, you know, to, to win that fail against a great Cork team with Kieran Murphy, absolute star again, Michael Cusson was a great lad that played for him, I think his name is Kevin Goggins a super Sarsfield team in the final, but we wouldn't have been in that final without Shane Hennessy performance on the Friday night inside, in, or was it a Saturday? It's a Friday night, actually, inside in uh, Pilltown against Mount Zion. So, listen, that man, you know, he was brilliant for us and for many, many years. And, um, you know, even in a relegation final many years later, he, I think in, we played Gorn, drawn, matched in a replay, he came back, he was after either being injured in, or in Australia. And, I think over the two days he scored two twenty two or two twenty four. You know, just a great, great club, great club man, and um, you know, definitely it was a historic moment for for us. Like you know, I was just reading some reports about it yesterday, Tommy. I think it was Waterford's the former All Ireland winning goalkeeper Ned Power, and he spoke about how Walsh took his usual place at full par- at full back and marked the biggest boy on the Sarsfields team. The Sarsfields full forward was a human skyscraper in the form of a teenager. The opposing full back was an elf who appeared so laughable out of his depth. 
after 20 minutes, Power's fears had been fulfilled. The twist being, it was the unfortunate full forward who was eaten alive by the little fella. Power noted the name and filed it away for future reference. Tommy Walsh. <laughs> David versus Goliath, unreal. That was great. And it wasn't actually great in that final, but listen, it was nice to hear them things, you know, that you know, I think, you know, he mentioned my grandfather as well, so my mother was delighted with that, like, you know, so, yeah, 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 it's super days, nice, super days. Nice. Unreal. Tommy, your picks then in the books for you had to be there. PJ Ryan, 2009 All-Ireland, Lark Corbett in 2010 in the All-Ireland, of course, Ken Doherty opening your local snooker hall, Owen Larkin's performance in the 2011 County Final Replay, and then, of course, Shane Hennessy's 11 goals and four points just in the under-14 fail in National All-Ireland group stage against Mount Zion. Tommy, great stuff as always, brilliant picks, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks, Melian. Thanks, Thanks Tommy. Great stuff, Tommy. Uh, it's one of those you had to be there moments. You had to be there. It subsequently, genuinely did change everything about my life. I had to be there. 8.36 a.m. on this Thursday morning's p.m. Some brilliant picks there. Uh, brilliant. How we can go into so much detail. <laughs> under 14. Under 14. That's what I was thinking when I seen the list. I was like, I, I've been to Phelous. Have you been to Phelous? I was never at a Phelous. Okay, but, um, but I don't know how, even if I was. Under, yeah. Can't like, remember what I did last week, never mind under 14s. I can't remember. Like, Phelous was one of my best memories. I've been to maybe two or three, but I couldn't remember the teams I played, really. Like, he knew each team, what he had to do, how much they had to win. But, like, just unbelievable but it's just Tommy Walsh ah, it's, it's just Tommy Walsh and Jeez. like something else I didn't realise Owen Larkin was a, a snooker player either um, <laughs> that's what you took away uh, that's why I'm, I'm going <laughs> home the list. delighted it's like Ronan McGarry loving the darts and uh, even Tommy playing billiards up to now like uh, that just blows my mind yeah. all this sort of stuff so uh, yeah amazing stuff one of my favourite You Had To Be There episodes they're all great absolutely was yeah it's brilliant I love to watch them but uh, yeah unreal but now it is time now for Around the World with Shane Hannon. Time of the week, Ashley. It is, absolutely. So, Shane, where are you taking us first? So we're going to go on a little trip around the world, Ashley. Nice. Hence the name. Uh, mm-hmm. See what I did there. Uh, so this is our, our new weekly segment. New. Uh, you know, it's probably four or five weeks in at this stage. We're still going to call it new. Quirky sporting stories uh, from around the globe that you might have missed if you haven't been paying full attention. We're going to start, actually, in Venice Beach, Los Angeles, USA. There's a sport called pickleball. Um, people might not have heard of it, but it's quite similar to tennis, badminton, ping pong. You'll see a video up on screen here. So it's like a, it's like a smaller, a much smaller tennis court. Yeah. Lower net than tennis as well. Players use these solid paddles to hit a perforated hollow ball. Uh, so the equipment limits them to how hard and far they can whack it. But <laughs> there's clearly not much movement. It's not the same as tennis. Apparently that was an unbelievable score, by the way. You can see the fans going wild in that video that we have up on screen. Um, this sport, pickleball, uh, from the CBS Sports video, is it's taking the world by storm. So the marketing of this sport is that it's fun. It has mm-hmm. social benefits. It's about meeting up with your mates and having a chat. Now, this is obviously a competitive game that you, you were seeing on screen there. But So um, it is professional? Yeah, they, they have this major league pickleball now, MLP. So there are, there are top professional players. Um, but I guess it's taken off so much in America because of the amount, amount of people playing it just socially. Yeah. People are maybe find a tennis court too big to run around, and, and that's fair enough. I guess it's a more fun, um, less limiting example of tennis. Mm-hmm. Now... It's a lot of elderly people as well. So I was thinking, part. yeah, if you if you don't want to do as much running, yeah, which is fair enough, I guess. Uh, apparently, it's the fastest growing sporting activity in the US. So you've uh, I mentioned Ven- Venice Beach. This is of course beside the the famous Muscle Beach uh, in Los Angeles. It's if you go there now to Venice Beach, you'll see 
lots of people playing pickleball apparently so uh, one of the uh, the former champions uh, former Wimbledon junior champion Noah Rubin who has switched from tennis's ATP tour to play pickleball says the tennis court's way too big way too much ground to cover came across the pickleball court and it clicked for me so uh, some of the figures actually in here are quite remarkable in terms of the growth so almost 5 million people in the US played pickleball in 2021 uh, it's had an annual average growth of 11.5%. Tennis annual growth, 4.9%. So it's growing exponentially faster than, than tennis. Uh, the, pick, the, the pandemic was probably quite good for it and that people you know, could maybe quite easily set up a little uh, pickleball court in their mm-hmm. garden. You don't need the, the massive space to, to play tennis. So I understand from that perspective, a lot of famous faces getting involved in this, Ashley, as well. So uh, Major League Pickleball has been expanded to 24 teams. Many are backed by, by A-list ownership groups. So Naomi Osaka and the Wimbledon uh, runner-up uh, Nick Kyrgios have invested in a new Miami-based team alongside the NFL superstar okay, Patrick Mahomes. so the professional uh, tennis players are actually oh, back in this game. They're all like... And you'd expect there to be a bit of rivalry between Yeah, I was sports. thinking, would they take it seriously? Is there a bit of, ah, uh, what is that, you know? <laughs> there seems no. to be... There's elements of that for sure, but clearly if the likes of Kyrgios and uh, Osaka are getting involved, mm. you have another expansion consortium, including Tom Brady, Kim Kleisters, the four-time major champion in tennis, you have uh, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, uh, Eva Longoria, the supermodel Heidi Klum, they're also putting in money as well. So there's six events across the US for the mixed-gender teams, prize money of $5 million, so there's money being put in behind this as well. Commercial growth means that there's tennis players switching over. Sam Querrey, who's a recently retired tennis player, um, notably beat Andy Murray to reach the Wimbledon semi-finals back in 2017. He's probably the biggest name convert. He's going to play in the Major League Pickleball this year. Um, there is a bit of a war between tennis and pickleball. So we mentioned a few of those names that are getting involved, but there is certainly a, an element of the tennis community that are like, nah, screw these guys. Oh, yeah, I could Taking over our sport mm. and trying to change it. But um, the backlash, some of the, the comments here, uh, Australian doubles legend Renee Stubbs, I will never turn on a TV to watch pickleball. I would rather watch paint dry. <laughs> Why all these tennis players think pickleball is worth investing in and not the game that made them all the dollars is beyond me. So there's clearly a deep concern among some. Uh, a playground in New York City recently banned pickleball. Local media describing months of conflict between players and local parents. The parents saying their children were being driven away from the uh, Sarah Valley playground in West Village and uh, forced action. So this sport is causing a lot of controversy. Wow. Actually. Yeah. But, um, I just wanted to bring people's attention to it around the world because not everyone's familiar with it. No, I wasn't familiar with it, no. Um, and that clip that we watched, it was like doubles. Is it singles as well? Doubles and I'm, I'm fairly sure they're singles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've only watched doubles matches because I mean, it looks quite hard to do the singles so like close yeah. up it's tight it's like, true to be able like, to yeah, and the fact back. that the, the racket is limiting it, you can't just whack the ball mm-hmm. makes sense as well so they've obviously designed the equipment to, to kind of fit uh, invented 1965 in Seattle, Washington as we discovered in the office during the week we were all kind of having a bit of a pickleball discussion yesterday the day before so uh, if it ever comes up in a quiz question pickleball invented in 65 and does Ireland have a I don't actually know are you setting one up do you know what in Monaghan I'm going to research this after the show today if Ireland has any pickleball teams get in touch we'd love to have you on the show to talk about it and uh, Colin Buhig our tennis aficionado on on AM uh, clearly not a massive fan necessarily is that fair to say Colin of pickleball I mean he's a tennis snob is he (laughs) (laughs) name the two famous rock stars born in Seattle he's just said into my ear because Seattle of course being the place where pickleball was invented Kurt Cobain. Boom. Jimi Hendrix. You. I mean. Yes. Yeah, let, me, let me tell you, folks. If, if there's a pub quiz, give me a shout. Yeah, because gee, Shane. I'm you're on my man. team. I'm a good man for a pub quiz, I have to say. Uh, that's the first story from around the world this week. So uh, we'll come back to Pickleball. Yes. This is not the last you'll have heard of Pickleball in this show. From the rise of Pickleball. And where do we go next? We're going 
Ashley to Paris. I love music. It's fantastic. Yeah. The, uh, the French Football Federation president, Noah Legoy. Good pronunciation. Yes, yeah, yeah. We'll give, you, we'll give you Cameron yeah. Hill. Was Cameron uh, Hill, uh, who has lived in France and speaks fluent French. I was like, before the show, how do you pronounce that? He's like, Noah Legoy. And I was like, ah, here. Say it again. Noah Legoy. Uh, Cameron, you can let me know if I, if I butchered that, <laughs> but uh, or else just come in and say it for me. Uh, but he's apologised for clumsy remarks he made about uh, Zinedine Zidane's potential interest in coaching the French national team. Who knew there'd be controversy in French football? Imagine. I mean, never happens, does it? So this was an interview with uh, with French Radio. The 81-year-old Lacroix, I'm going to stop saying his name now, said he wouldn't even have taken his call if Zidane had been in touch. There's Lagre on the right of that photograph there with the uh, current French boss Didier Deschamps. Uh, Lagray saying on Monday the comments do not reflect his views. Deschamps has signed a new contract uh, with France until 2026. As of uh, recently, of course, after their their run to the World Cup final, where they were, of course, lost to Argentina. Uh, Leguay said, I gave an interview to French radio station RMC that I should not have given because they were looking for controversy by opposing Didier and Zinedine Zidane, two greats of French football. I admit that I made some clumsy remarks, which created a misunderstanding. Uh, Zidane, of course, a fairly uh, top-level manager. Now, what's interesting here, Leguay says he's never met Zidane. And there in that picture there, you'll see Leguay in the front row on the right and Zidane on the right-hand side. I found that picture online when I just googled Legray Zidane. Is that real? Apparently so. Um, now, when he says he never met him, maybe they were just in the photograph together and they didn't really have a, a proper conversation. That's Deschamps on the left, of course. And I think Francois Hollande, um, the French president, was in that, the ex-president in that, in that photograph as well. Uh, Kylian Mbappe got involved in this, actually, in which uh, he tends to do, gets involved. Mm-hmm. There's uh, Mbappe in the photo with Legray. He described Legray's comments as disrespectful. Then the uh, French sports minister, Amélie Oud- oh, I'm going to have to pronounce this now. Amélie Oudot-Castera demanded an apology from Legray for a shameful lack of respect. Uh, she was calling for an immediate rectification following these inappropriate comments. Essentially, he was asked whether Zidane um, had called him about the French head coach's job. Mm-hmm. And Legray said, I wouldn't even have taken his call. To tell him what? Hello, sir, don't worry. Look for another club. I just agreed a contract with Didier. It's up to him what he does. It's not my business. I've never met him and we've never considered parting with Didier. He can go where he wants, to a club. He would have as many as he wants in Europe, a big club, but a national side is hardly credible to my mind. I don't know if that was a dig, him saying that he couldn't Zidane manage a national team or France, that he should just stick to the club game. Mind blowing, like you don't touch Zidane. Like no. that is just a, a no go area. Hundred like, percent. Um, no way. And Noel Gray has yesterday stepped aside as president of the FFF just days after making these comments. So he's kinda taking a back seat. Cameron Hill has joined us in studio as well. Cameron, please can you please just pronounce the name? No Legray. Thank you very much, Cameron. Uh, thank you uh, for your contribution this morning on to AM. So um, it's, it's very handy to have <laughs> someone like that uh, to just pop in and, and give us You're a pronunciation. You're so talented here. If, if, you ever need, if you ever need a Monaghan pronunciation of any names, you can bring me in or, or likewise, Ashley for, for the Not me, that's names. for sure. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring Conor Maruk in for the Mead pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you very much for that uh, contribution, Cameron. That was, that was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, highlight of the show for today for, uh, for me, to be honest. Um, but that, that's what's going on in French football. It's a bit of a, bit of a mad one. Um, and I mean considering all the controversies in French football over the last number of months for this to be the reason why Noah Legray we should just insert Cameron's voice there but anyway uh, (laughs) why he has stepped aside it's a bit bonkers madness Um, absolutely so yeah just the fact that Mbappe got involved as well but uh, yeah that's Paris from Paris then back to the USA back to the States actually there we go uh, so let me just find my notes here and see where exactly we're headed we're headed to Palm Beach Florida USA so uh, lovely hot climbs but not a very lovely story, it has to be said. So the uh, the nine-time major winner, golf major winner that is, Gary Player, has been involved in a very bitter dispute. There he is on screen, uh, pointing the way. Uh, but this dispute involves family. 
so his son and his grandson and it's all over memorabilia it's quite pathetic um, but it's taken a legal turn now so player of course winner of nine major championships as I said he's suing his son his son there pictured in the photograph Mark uh, alongside himself and his grandson as well over memorabilia that they have either sold or tried to sell this is according to the local paper in uh, Palm Beach the Palm Beach Post uh, memorabilia is supposed to be returned to player according to the, to the report uh, back in August Gary Player announced that his son Mark had put quote several trophies and other pieces of memorabilia up for auction um, and he released a statement to say I would like to draw the public's attention to the fact that several trophies and other pieces of memorabilia that form part of my legacy have been put up for auction by my son and ex-manager Mark these items belong to me and I've taken action to recover them I've placed no items for sale whether by auction or otherwise so these uh, pieces of memorabilia that uh, Mark and Mark's son player's mm-hmm. grandson have been held in 19 lockers in South Carolina so this is, it sounds like a movie some of this some of this crack and obviously but a lot of stuff if there's 19 lockers 100% you can imagine the amount of things and, and I mean some of it is probably priceless in that it means a lot to Gary because it, you look back on his career and there's little moments and bits of memorabilia that, that stand out for him but why there, is there it is all a, in lockers why is something out of his house it's or? a very good question maybe there's so much uh, much of it that uh, he just can't hold on to all of it or maybe Mark put it all in the lockers and now Gary wants to access it, it's just a big messy one so it's being alleged that Damien Player who is the grandson uh, solicited buyers for the memorabilia and sold or helped to sell Rolex watches for quote significant sums of money so some of the these um, items that were already sold in 2021 Player's 1974 Masters Tournament Trophy his South African Open Trophy his 1965 US Open Irons his clubs his golf shoes from his 52nd Masters Tournament all already sold uh, in 2021 uh, and this is a last resort bringing legal action apparently so he says uh, Stuart Singer in fact player's attorney says only with the greatest reluctance and after many years of trying to avoid this did Gary have to enforce his rights in this way so the suit against Damien Player was originally filed in November in Florida uh, it's still ongoing uh, Player of course considered one of the greatest golfers of all time one of just five players as well to win a, a career Grand Slam so we'd, we'd love to see Rory McIlroy do by clinching the Masters this year but um Really, really messy one. It's so sad, yeah, isn't it? Oh, like there's family to, involved. Yeah, to have won all that, to have such a successful career, and then you hear all this with his family, and you know there's such a divide. So sad. Yeah, hundred percent. I remember hearing, um, in, like, I'm obviously a massive space geek. Uh, needless to say, and there was as there well was, as snooker. Exactly. Yeah, all my little too. niche mastermind subjects. <laughs> uh, but Buzz Aldrin, the second man to walk on the moon, was involved in in, in different bitter legal disputes with members of his family as well over bits of memorabilia and autographs and flown items and stuff that, that he's had in his collection. So certainly Gary Player's instance is not uh, a one and only. Mm. You know, there are many of these instances where sadly, when money's involved... They're just trying to cash in. Exactly. Really. 100%. Yeah. Um, look, you'd love them to be able to... I'm just trying to see what, what age Gary Player is here, but uh, Gary is currently... What age? He's 87. I mean, you'd, oh, love, you'd love to see yeah. this be ironed out in the next year or two or, or as quickly as possible because uh, it's one of those things with families involved. You just, they'll, they'll all regret it for the rest of their lives, you'd oh, imagine. Big time, if yeah. you can't work this out. So, uh, it are, takes away from all of that success, doesn't it? 100%. He probably at this point, like we'd see, I'm sure it brought on a lot of stress. Yeah. And at this point, he's probably like, geez, I'd rather have won nothing and oh, none of this have ever happened. Exactly. You know? Yeah. One oh. of the greatest players of all time. And for this to be, well, he describes all the, these items as his legacy. I understand that as someone who likes to collect a little bit of memorabilia we, we have something that actually from what we do ha- you collect we had a go- we, I, so I've always collected autographs 
Um, okay, yeah. I've kind of stopped doing it in recent years, but I still have a massive selection of like sports autographs, astronaut autographs. What's uh, your best one? To oh, well, I was over in in Vegas during the summer on a bit of a road trip with a few of the lads, and we went to Gene Kilroy's house, who's Ali's manager, and our business former business manager Muhammad Ali, and he gave a, he gave me a, a glove signed by Muhammad Ali, which I mean. That's top of my well, list. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I have a snooker cue signed by Ronnie O'Sullivan and Jimmy White, which I mean, for me, is up there. Yeah. But an Ali signed boxing glove is just straight from the from the from the desk of the of his oh manager. My God, yeah. That's that's top of my list. I'm it, trying to think of one that I m- might have that would okay of known on that level. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, but I remember I was uh, it was the Open of my GA club in Retote and Mead were playing Mayo. Yeah. And I was obsessed with Kieran McDonald. <laughs> but I actually the had. Up. Yeah, I actually. You had, didn't ask for his socks, did you? No, no, no. I didn't go that far. Jeez. <laughs> um, but no, I, I absolutely loved him, and I actually had a, a game that day. We were playing an under twelve blitz in Carlo for me that day, and I, I was going to miss the game. So everybody knew that I loved Kerr McDonald, and I came back after the game, and I had twelve signed autographs from Kerr McDonald. The twelve different people. Oh my god! <laughs> had ran up to him, and it was like best wishes from Kerr McDonald to Ashling. I was like, oh, <laughs> I have all of them. Yeah, he's like, who is this Ashling girl yeah. looking for twelve autographs? <laughs> <laughs> twelve <laughs> different Ashlings. Yeah, do you still have them? Still have them. Class. Yeah. At least you held on to them. Big sure. time. Yes. It kind of it leads us nicely into the last. Yes, the last we're staying we in the USA. Staying in the USA. It's USA heavy around the world this morning, but. Um, so be it. We're heading actually to, uh, to San Francisco. Uh, the Darwin Awards are awards handed out to, to people who have maybe been killed in, in um, stupid scenarios. Luckily, in this instance, this fan that I'm about to mention was uninjured. So, an overzealous San Francisco 49ers fan taking uh, quite the bump after a win last weekend over the Arizona Cardinals to end the regular season on a 10-game winning streak. So, I mean, it's good good times for the 49ers. They're going well. Their uh, quarterback, Brock Purdy, was running back into the locker room. He threw a towel toward the fans who were still in the stands at the uh, Levi Stadium. And there's one fan in particular who tried to reach uh, the towel with his left hand while in the edge of the rating. We actually have a video, a short video of this incident here. So, you'll see the fan, the towel being thrown, first of all. Bump. Here's the fan. There he goes. Gone. Now, the fall Ooh. isn't too bad. Luckily, as I said, he's uninjured. Uh, but to say, <laughs> the guy turned around and laughed as well. So they clearly thought that serious. People around him were laughing. So there's the towel. Thinks he can get there. Oh, I mean, my he's gone. So. Uh, but misjudged how far away the towel was, clearly. Uh, the momentum carries him over the handful of other fans as well. Uh, appears to knock down a couple of other people on the way so just causing a little bit of carnage in Levi Stadium um, so Purdy threw three touchdown passes in that game 30-13 win sixth straight game that Purdy has had multiple touchdowns it just it, the whole thing is a bit bizarre because adults looking for a, to- a sweaty towel off a, off a, a professional also an athlete, uh, an, an adult uh, sports person we were talking before the show actually about these kids who hold up the signs at matches can I please have your shirt mm-hmm. when I see when I see adults grown and I look. I'm after saying that I used to collect memorabilia. So look, as no judgment as a kid, and no judgment here. For and you can still do that as an adult, but this is extreme. I mean, it's a sweaty towel, like yeah. Now yeah, look, yeah, yeah. some people again it could be financially based. You think you're, oh, I'm going to grab this towel and sell it on eBay? George Purdy's playing really well at the minute. Yeah, they're just smart. Quid. They're just smart. Hundred percent. But it just makes me <laughs> sick. In. Makes me sick to my stomach. <laughs> Listen, this is why you asked me about the socks because this is what I've heard so many times Bizarre. running on after a game trying to get interviews and I hear the kids beside me asking the players can I have your socks I'm like socks and the players are just like no yeah I mean, <laughs> you're not having my socks smelly socks get yeah. away from about me I mean just don't don't so that dashing uh, three, out of four, three, three out of four in the states but a uh, few of the stories that uh, I feel people might have missed this week John Duggan has joined us in studio John good morning 
Shane and Ashley, how are we doing? Good morning, John. You aren't, you're not someone who would clamber over a, over a fence to, to grab a sweaty towel off a player, are you? I think it's probably the last thing I do, to be honest. <laughs> if you know me at all. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. It's, it's hardly surprising that answer to me. You, you are someone who's collected a little bit of memorabilia over the years, though, to be fair. Um, you know, the programmes, I, I often see, you know, the, especially at McKenna Cup game and, and O'Byrne Cup games, where you know, the programme isn't the, the actual properly put together programme, it's the paper programme. Yeah, that was last night. And it gets all soggy and like, what's Hard the point of it? That. You see, I, I hate when people, you know, championship matches, the programme that's probably worth, you know, you, you pay your three quid or five quid for it. A lovely put together programme, people have put hours into production of it. And you see the old fellas, with the, you know, using <laughs> it to cover their head from the rain. I mean, Where is this going? It, it just, it destroys my happiness, John. It really does. Um, when you've reported on different sports, John, do you keep the programme? Is it something that you'd go pro- home with? Pro- programme is the anticipation. Tickets are the memory. Tickets. Oh. So I keep the big tickets. But if you don't have a ticket, if they don't give you a ticket? Oh, it's rare now. I know what you're saying, because now more in contemporary times, sometimes you don't get the tickets. So I will yeah. keep, occasionally keep a programme for a big thing. Um, I have like, a very select few pr- programmes, actually. Like, I have the Roy Keane uh, programme from the Holland game. Class. Uh, he's on the front cover. Actually, wasn't at the game. I was working for 98 FM, but um, my friend of mine gave it to me. So that's in pristine condition. I ha- I'll have the 1998 one FA Cup final program. Spurs last one, the FA Cup from Wembley. Once again, I wasn't at the game, but um, had that program though. Yeah, for had sure. The, had the, when Clare won the All Ireland's 95, 97, kept the programs for those games. Kept the program for the 125 uh, year anniversary of the GA. Those finals in I think it was 2009. Kept those ones. Brilliant. Kept the dubs when they won the replay against Kerry. So I've kept a select few programmes, but all the big tickets are all in the drawer. There's one drawer I have with everything in it. Yeah, so there's never a house fire. Just grab the grab everything in those. Just grab the box. Yeah, yeah, grab the box and run. So um, autographs-wise, um, I had Glenn Hoddle's autograph in a napkin given to me, and I mislaid the napkin when I was young. Oh, no. And then I had Paul Gascoigne's autograph on... Um, a Spurs team on a sheet of paper and I put it in a frame and I put it on my wall and then over the years the sun oh, yeah, began to fade the, 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 they just began to fade oh, God, the autograph yeah. so it's almost like the back to the future thing uh, so I would advise anybody who's got any autographs don't put it in a frame in your house you've got to have it like kind of put away somewhere there is a tip for people uh, as someone who's collected autographs for years uh, you can get museum quality glass Slightly more expensive, of course, but if you put it behind that, the the autographs or pictures don't don't fade. So you'll pay a little bit more for it. But if the autograph is is unbelievable and you want to display it, or if there's a picture that you don't want to fade with the sunlight, either either display it somewhere where there's no sunlight directly facing it, or get the slightly more expensive glass so it doesn't fade. You have that, Jane. Yeah, word of advice. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, a couple of the quick texts in. Uh, Mark Dunning says, "Is Parchy Sung going to get a mention here?" And Dara O'Toole says, "Is Shane the Parchy Sung of OTB?" Well, Dara, thank you so much for that compliment. That is unbelievable that you would say that to me because Park is a serial winner, a man who performed the job day in, day out, four Premier Leagues, one Champions League title, uh, over 100 caps for his country, took South Korea to fourth in a World Cup. You still got that shovel, do you? I'm just (laughs) trying to dig away here, John, but but, I mean, Dara, that is... like People have said some nice things to me in the past, but to say I'm the parchy song of OTB, that's that's actually... that's, um, That's something else. Thank you so much. That's a <laughs> but I, and what I'm fascinated by, because you know, Charlie Woods last week will have won a major before Rory. 
Yeah. And you parked your song this week. What will be next week? Oh, yeah, that was a statement. Yeah, I heard that. I said, <laughs> Shane, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but he's 13. I mean, I think he could win it by the time he's 21. You've got eight years to prove me wrong. So hopefully I'll be... We'll come back on air in eight I'm years. I'm waiting so. for next week's one, Shane. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, there's been a bit of news, surpri- uh, surprising in some ways, John, but uh, Davy Russell, yeah. have a U-turn in his retirement. Well, Jack Kennedy uh, is going to be the number one for Gordon Elliott, as you would expect, and he broke his leg, unfortunately, again last weekend. So... Um, Davey released a statement last night through his Twitter to say he's going to come back right wrote his uh, last winner we thought at Thurless just before Christmas but it's obviously still fit at 43 years of age and he's going to help out Gordon Elliott and I think Elliott turning to his experience for the foreseeable he'll be back at Ferryhouse in Munchestown this weekend and then Cheltenham uh, is probably on the horizon now for Davey Russell so I was kind of trying to think of Sports stars have come out of retirement. Mm-hmm. I can't really think of anybody as quickly as this. Uh, but <laughs> this was days. Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady's yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, DJ Carey. I remember in the nineties quit and then returned and won all Ireland's. George Foreman left boxing for ten years and came back and won the world title mm. with that amazing uh, knockout of Michael Moore in nineteen ninety four. Uh, you had Brian Corcoran for Cork. Came back and played as a forward after winning on All-Ireland as a defender in hurling. Uh, Paul Scholes, I think, did it briefly. Michael Jordan, obviously. Beyond Borg came back and played tennis with a wooden racket years after he retired. <laughs> uh, so there are definitely examples in the past, but I don't know, I can't really think of anybody as quickly as this. Column tennis, tennis player Maria Sakari retired for four days and returned. She revealed that in uh, Breakpoint, this new Netflix documentary, which is out tomorrow, I'm led to believe. Um, Paul Scholes, didn't he, he was wearing number 18 for United, then he came back wearing number 22. That was a full-on football retirement, wasn't it? It was, yeah. So he came back to to help out for for a number of months. It doesn't always work. Sometimes you come back out of retirement and, and it's brilliant. The pressure's almost off. Never go back, as they say. Isn't never it? go back. No. I, like I never went back to my old school. Once I left school, the secondary school, never went back to it. You never visited it? No. Really? No. Why? I'm an unsentimental chap. <laughs> oh, you, strike me, you strike me as a sentimental man, John. Yeah. Just, I just with with that, I just never went back to the school. I remember going back to my, I went back to my, a few years ago, going back to my primary school for a, it was a cake sale. Myself and my mum decided to go up. I just wanted to see what the old primary school looked like, St Mary's in Monaghan Town. And then the same, I've, I've actually, I've been lucky enough, you might have done this as well to your, your old school, where you go back and talk to, like, five, I was speaking to, I think, fourth years and fifth years. Oh, about I saw media, you did that, that was lovely, yeah. It was ama- an amazing opportunity, the St McCartan's College in Monaghan Town, the same. And uh, eerie to go back and then they took me into the staff room. For a cup of tea, and like, That's I'm, I'm looking at all my teachers. That's strange. That doesn't get in, like it, it's like, still I, weird. I had to, I, I was calling them all by their first name as opposed to their Miss yes. whatever or Mister whatever Sir. Yeah. I was, it was bizarre. I was like, can I actually? Am I allowed to call these people? But, by you, their? but you're going you're to be the chieftain of Monaghan anyway, Shane. The mayor. So. I'm looking for the mayor. He is already. I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking for the, yeah. the, the, Ma- the mayor. Mayor, mayor Hannon. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were Mayor Duggan on Twitter yesterday, John. Yeah. What was your? What was the take that went viral? <laughs> Just pull it up. Oh, I don't think I've seen this. There was um, it wasn't the budget. It was uh. The there was a story that they're putting 12 cent on the price of a pint oh, of yes. yeah. and obviously they're going to round that up uh, and I don't really blame the publicans for this um, the beer companies are making billions in profits every year so I just said all pints of Guinness in Ireland should be fixed at a fiver hashtag Mayor Duggan and it went to a bit haywire many uh, views or impressions 267,000 <laughs> oh my god John so, <laughs> don't touch our Guinness I think people are it's not as like, it, was, it was nice to get a nice tweet after um the controversy over what Lionel Messi was wearing at the World Cup final and also saying that the greatest moment in New sport. Zealand was the greatest moment since 1990 <laughs> in my in my fit of passion You've after the uh, the All Blacks win but uh, 
it's funny because getting so many some people are going well so is 450 down in the country and you're expecting us to put another 50 on or it's 390 yeah, where i am in Kerry that. expecting this and that whatever but um dublin is just if well, you're living in the cities weird. dublin yeah it's uh, playing six euro for a pint of guinness is blasphemy it's our national drink obviously responsibly is an alcoholic <laughs> drink and be um but it's our national drink and you know you don't want to I don't know if you want to be seeing pints again at seven, eight euro in the in the next few years. I don't know if something can be done. What's what's a reasonable price for a pint in Dublin? I suppose it's. I think a fiver. I think a fiver. No, for, what do you I think a fiver for a pint of stout, and I think six euro for a pint of lager. Is that what you Would pay you, though? Yeah. You pay more. You pay. You're generally paying five fifty now for a pint I'm of Guinness. I think in me, in, I think it's four something. Yeah, it's right. like four. Four seventy, I think in mine. Seventy or eighty, I think it's four eighty something like four eighty. Yeah. I should now. God, I worked in a bar for a long time. It's lovely when, you're, when you go home and you, you get out of the, the pail and you order a pint of Guinness at home and they, they say, and you get change from a fiver. Yeah. You hand them a fiver note and they give you, what, 20 or 30 cent back. You're like, this is Now that I'm thinking, mad. Though, when I did work in the bar, it was 4.20. That's not that long, a few no. years, you know, 4.20. So it's gone up a lot yeah. over the last number of years, I'm guessing. It's even gone up from there. So I think, John, I, I, psychologically, at the end of the night, you could be like a tenner better off down the country than you could be in Dublin. Spectre oh, yeah. Corp says it's like 5.30 on Harold's Cross here. I mean that's that's not too bad for for Dublin. I think five fifty, as I said, it ought to be a fiver. The mayor has decreed that. But um, if you're going over five fifty for Panagonis in Dublin, I think it's bad. You know. Yeah, I'd I'd vote for you as as mayor of Dublin, John. Yeah, um, Lord Mayor of free Dublin. scarves for everybody. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that's <laughs> and nice you'd be one good today. at the you'd be good on the podium as well. Obviously, that's experience it. in broadcasting and yeah, the game yeah. school of acting as well. Yeah, yeah. DJ Mike Anderson, Spectre Corp comments you, as well here. You'd have, you'd have a few. Um, rousing speeches and uh, we'd solve the housing crisis wouldn't we <laughs> with, with, with a magic wand um, but yeah so uh, that, that's, that was uh, Davey uh, so he's back in action yeah. on Saturday Ferry House yeah oh, and Punches Town on Sunday so um, great to see him back in the- mm. he's going to have a big gentleman isn't he it's, it's just written in the stars now well you hope Jack so. is fit to come back well, but fair, if, yeah. if Jack's not fit um, like Davey's got the experience and Gordon Elliott has got a big arsenal of horses um, so look, you, you, you just hope Davey now when he returns because he came out unscathed and he, he he finished with a winner. So I just hope that everything is fine for him and there's no falls or anything like that. And he, yeah. and he can ride some winners because it's it's a sport that's not without its um, dangers. dangers you know? For sure. Any other bits and bobs happening this uh, morning? Well, obviously Gavin Mazzuna was great last night to see him a part of a winning Southampton team against Manchester City. I think with City, one eye is on the derby on Saturday. Um we have uh, that obviously be on Football Saturday on, on the discussion. David Myler will be joining us on Saturday afternoon to reflect on that with the lads. Uh, we've got Leinster Gloucester commentary, by the way, Saturday morning, mm. one to three. Uh, we've got uh, Leinster commentary. Um, Forrest Man U kind of repeated the 1992 final in the semi finals of this year's League Cup. Graham Potter is already really feeling the heat, I think. Um, the fact that he's meeting Thiago Silva, Matteo Kovacic, Cesar Aspilicueta and Jorginho for kind of a clear-of-the-air senior player rally round thing is not a great sign to me. Mm. Um, I think it's the supporters that really have the, the gripe. Maybe not so much with Graham Potter, but the fact that they got rid of Tuchel so quickly. Yeah. Um, a Champions League winning manager and doesn't seem to be a kind of a, a relaxed environment at Chelsea at the moment. It'll be fascinating to see what happens against Fulham this evening. And then you had obviously the lots of the GA competitions. I know Ashley, you were at Meath uh, Longford last night, so um, we'll see what happens in the Auburn and McKenna Cups. But that's what's kind of going on this morning. Not too much. There's a bit of um, a bit of awkwardness around the Auburn Cup because so some kind say, of you're taking yeah. seriously and some aren't. It's 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 getting. To well, I think Liam Kearns was right in what he said about the integrity of the competition with teams pulling out because of the Sigerson yeah and then, then he's got too many, lots of matches to play that they're fulfilled and then Longford are in the final and they're not in the final 
I've put this on the record before, I don't think these preliminary competitions should exist at all. I think you should start the league earlier and have more time for the championship if you're going to cut the championship uh, by the end of July. Mm -hmm. I don't really see the rationale behind. I can see... I can I can see that it's good for fringe players and squads and players trying to get a give them a chance, give them yeah. A chance yeah, and that this is the mm-hmm. chance to give them a chance without the, being too much exposure. Can you do that in challenge games? Um, yeah, you can do it in the league. <laughs> you know what trial players? A bit, yeah, to a degree. Yeah, I think. You're league trying is, to stay up in league is championship now, nearly, isn't it? Like, yeah, no, yeah. league is not championship. Well, no, no, I'm, not going down, I'm not going down this road again. <laughs> no, but we've, the had, way, we've had this before. The way the setup is now, like teams have to. I mean, you want to stay in Division 2 for a start and then you want yeah. to push on and try and finish as high as you can now because of the championship structures. So. I just don't know yeah. why they can't start the league Nelson now. Nelson Cup. Um. Like last night, there was a few players for me that were there watching that weren't involved, whether they're just having a rest or they are involved with their college, which I'm pretty sure that was the case. Mm. Um, so they, they can't be involved because it's, it's too much. Yeah. But even the likes of Paddy Christie, the Longford manager, you know, he's managing DCU as well. So he's even trying to juggle, mm. you he's know. busy like both but yeah there's there's almost too much on all at once and yeah but then and, the McKenna Cup has such a good name as well then the, I don't know it's big following as well then, yeah. you'll have, then you'll have five months of nothing yeah I yeah That's this the is thing. it well you'll have club games of course as well no but in, ter- in, 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 in terms of the intercounty yeah, yeah 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 for sure mm-hmm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I just I just think there's a there's, you can still have the split season but with a better way of of solving this fixture congestion I think yeah. Uh, yeah, like it's definitely not, not been solved and it, oh. will it ever be there's too many competitions probably yeah yeah. you, f- you feel like year on year they're getting closer but still not there yeah. unfortunately John great right, stuff as folks, always thanks, thanks a million uh, 9.08am on this Thursday morning's OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio across the day 1 o'clock it's OTB Gold with Barry Ryan on The Ascent 3pm it's Leaders Questions uh, 4 o'clock, a retro panel, Ireland versus England, 95 memories. Uh, from 6pm, it's OTB Gold, Michael Conlon, after his exit from the Rio Olympics in 2016. And from 7pm, the show is live this evening, Off the Ball with Nathan, alongside John Giles and Brian O'Driscoll. Star-studded lineup there, plus plenty more besides. You can follow OTB across <coughs> all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network as well for all the best and the latest sports content. Uh, during the break, you will hear a clip from the latest episode of the Club Championship Show on OTB Sports in association with AIB. Proud sponsors of the Football Hurling and Camogie All-Ireland Club Championships. Check out hashtag the toughest for more. Uh, hosts Will and Ashley, of course, here discuss Ashley's own post-match interview with Fossa's David Clifford over the weekend that went viral across Off The Ball's social channels. We'll be back afterwards then with the sports pages. First, though, we have some Thursday morning motivation from GMAC. Testing one two one two GMAC one two GMAC's morning motivational moment or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. Good morning, Grammar Dole here. Uh, GMAC, as you guys like to call me, some um, Thursday motivation for you now. To shine your brightest light is to to be who you truly are. Who is GMAC? Uh, I don't know. He's Irish, he, uh, he plays a little golf, drinks the old beer from time to time and uh, likes to hang out and uh, just kind of be himself, really. That's your Thursday motivation. GMAX morning motivational moment. Or something along those lines. There's so many to choose from. You pick this music. I feel like, uh, Emma, I love it. I, yeah. I mean, I uh, I feel like I'm on a really serious news show now, so I should put on a pair of glasses and put <laughs> on a straight face and take it away. Be very serious. So this is a. Uh 
the newspaper headlines this morning from the back pages. We've uh, we've got the back page of the Sun. Saints alive. Pep's shocker. Of course, Lampton beating City in the League Cup last night. Bridge repair. Potter holds crisis summit. Graham Potter, as uh, John was saying. So Crisis talks with four of his senior stars as he fights to end a Chelsea slump. The uh, new £14 million low-signing Joao Felix joining a team in free fall with only one win in ten domestic games. And uh, they face a West London derby at Inform Fulham tonight. Huge game uh, for them as well. So uh, Potter met with the first-team leaders Cesar Azpilicueta, Thiago Silva, Jorginho and Mateo Kovacic in a bit to try and plot a route back to winning ways, of course, following their back-to-back defeats by Man City and top corner as well, girl power. Ireland boss Vera Pau hitting out again at the decision to hand Phil Neville the England job ahead of her back in 2018. So there's some interesting headlines there from The Sun, the back page of The Mirror. Saints alive, so that's been stunned. Serial champs as Mara and Gineppo down Woeful City. Henderson, the shootout hero for Coop. Uh, melting Pot, that same story. Struggling Blues boss Graham Potter holding a crisis meeting with four senior stars in a bid to beat the slump. There's the Davy Russell return story uh, and a tiny little bit given to Barrett. Uh, Roy Barrett to step aside at the FAI, stepping down as chair of the FAI board. And independent director Gary Tuhig is going to Barrett. Uh, of course, strong supporter and always has been of Stephen Kenny. So a staunch ally of Kenny departing stage left from the FAI. The back page of the Irish Daily Star has similar headlines. Saints clip City Wings, Barrett leaving his FAI position, Potter plots Blue Revival and Davy Russell. There's a similar themes to the back pages this morning across the water. The Daily Telegraph, Loophole gives Farrell reprieve. England fly half free to face Scotland after reduced ban. Uh, controversy as Steve Borthwick left to decide on inclusion. A Calcutta Cup controversy, of course. Scotland up first for England in the opening Six Nations game next month. Suspended yesterday for four weeks after making a dangerous tackle during Saracen's premiership victory over Gloucester. Reduced to three upon his participation in World Rugby's coach intervention programme or tackle school. Uh, of course, that um, story that we were chatting with Chris Jones, the BBC, about earlier. You can catch that back on the YouTube or the podcast, wherever you get it. And... Uh, um, really heartbreaking story from Warren Gatland uh, you'll see on the f- back page of the uh, Daily Telegraph sports section Warren Gatland saying uh, my daughter died at four months old that's what drives me today so a uh, heartbreaking photo of, of Warren Gatland with his wife Trudy and their daughter Shauna in 1992 uh, Gatland believes Shauna's death having been born with spina bifida had a profound impact on his outlook on life and shaped his career as well so a bit of a heartbreaking story in the Daily Telegraph there We've got the uh, the Times as well. Ban loophole clears Farrell to face Scots. Lampard given owner backing. Everton's majority shareholder Farhad Mashiri uh, responding to mounting fan frustration. Uh, backing Frank Lampard and the rest of the management structure. Uh, FA inquiry into cup spot fixing as well. Uh, uh, suspicious betting patterns surrounding the booking of the Oxford United defender Kieran Brown during Arsenal's FA Cup win on Monday. The last couple here. Uh, the Irish Times has a few different stories. Ex-Ireland under 20 McGuigan Keith Gloucester reaching ambitions. Rugby Champions Cup. Headlines left, right, and centre. Farrell set to be available for start of Six Nations. And finally, the back page of the Irish Daily Mail. You've got Keep the Faith. Barrett backs Kenny as he opens up on shock FAI exit. Uh, apparently, the uh, fellow directors in the FAI were unaware that uh, Roy Barrett was going to be stepping aside. He said, It's been in my head to go for some time. I don't believe in staying longer than necessary. My position is voluntary, and I've given it a lot of time. I came in on January 8th, three years ago. To be honest, it was a mess. Since then, there's been a huge amount of progress and a lot more financial. Stability. So, uh, and then, of course, the Graham Potter story there. That was this morning's sports pages. I will get used to that uh, that music eventually. I love it. Uh, turning our attention now at uh, sixteen minutes, seventeen minutes past nine on this Thursday morning, to BM to uh, Gaelic Games. Delighted to be joined by the uh, now manager of Tyrone's Eden Dork, former joint manager of Kilcoo, Conleth Gilligan. Morning, Conleth. How are things? Morning, Shane. Morning, Ashley. Things are good. 
you're uh, you're being kept busy uh, straight from one job into the other. Uh, how, how did this all come about, Eden Dork? So um, heading into the uh, the fiery depths of the Tyrone Championship <coughs> next year. Yeah, I suppose like Eden Dork would be. We would boundary would straddle the Tyrone border, so Eden Dork would be very close locally. Um, so it would have been probably a team and, and, and players I would have been watching because we would follow the Tyrone Championship closely based on our, our geography as well and, and the fact that you know there's so many games are so exciting. Uh, a number of the Tyrone uh, panellists on the team including uh, Niall Morgan who uh, famously plays a lot of the time outfield for, for Eton Dork so it, I'm seeing some similarities here Connell, with your own career where you started in goals for Ballanderry and I moved to outfield so you're almost the reverse of, of Niall Morgan's <laughs> career Yeah and, and Bobo, Bobo tried his best Bobo Cain tried his best to get outfield we, we wouldn't let him so, <laughs> so um, probably there's, there's some sort of symmetry there but yeah look uh, Niall would have, would, have, would have played outfield uh, all the time for, for Eden Dork and, and I suppose when you went to watch Tyrone club championship matches you know is a fine footballer in his own right as opposed to just a goalkeeper as well it's a fiery championship as well up in Tyrone Gashing you reminded me this morning about how competitive it is I was just looking back over it I always known it was notoriously competitive but I was just looking over the stats and I'm pretty sure it was from 2005 that it's been a different winner each year that it is that competitive am I right in saying that Conlon? Yeah, absolutely. Look, and I suppose um, there's been no team. Maybe you have to go back to maybe um, Curic Moore, Ergil Kieran from the last team to retain it back to back, and it is it's that length of time. And there's just nothing between any of the teams, and and it's so competitive. And and I suppose whenever Tyrone's going really well, some of the teams would struggle more so because they wouldn't have their county players. And you know, and I suppose Aidan Dark would have, would have struggled a bit with that there. So um, look, I suppose I'm looking forward. It's it's a strange because obviously a large part of the last four years of my life had been in Kilku and it, it is very, very strange to to think that, you know, you'll not be there. And even over the last three or four years where we had been getting to the latter stages of the All-Ireland, every Christmas and every Boxing Day was spent in Kilku. And it was it was just strange this year where you, you didn't have that. And, you know, it will take a, a lot of adjusting, a lot of getting used to, but uh, to be fair, um, I got a lot of nice messages from, from the people of Kilku and, you know, I suppose it's a, it's a place and, and people that will be very close to my heart and no matter what I would do ever in the future. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. I haven't spoke to you since you've departed. Um, I didn't get a chance to speak to you after the, the Ulster final <clears throat> either. So I suppose talk to us about that decision to step away and yeah, how you're feeling about it all because you did spend a lot of time there, had some great memories. So I'm sure it's not a, an easy decision. No, look, it wasn't. Uh, I suppose it was four years, and, and and Richie Thornton had been there too. So, um, obviously Mickey stepping away, like we wanted to stay on, just to to make sure that things were stabilised, and we thought there was definitely a team there that would be good enough to to challenge for for down and and maybe Ulster and beyond. And I suppose it was a case that after four years, you didn't get over the line in Ulster, and and you're close, and you've seen how. The Glen are, are in a really good shout now. So um, it was more a case just that after four years, we just felt that the players needed something new and needed something fresh. And um, look, we would love to have stayed for another year, but we felt that it probably wasn't right for the, the wider group and that some fresh thinking and a fresh voice might be the difference in, in pushing them on again because there's really good young players, you know, and the older players look after themselves exceptionally well and I wouldn't expect any retirement. So there's no reason why that team can't push on again and, and win down and maybe give Ulster uh, and beyond another rattle because the players are there, the attitude's there, you know, the infrastructure in the club is geared up for it. So there's absolutely no reason why they won't be at the latter stages again. 
Yeah, massive talent within that Cuckoo squad and no doubt next year they'll be there, thereabouts again. What was it like, I suppose, after the Ulster final in the dressing room after that loss to Glenn? Yeah, look, it was very difficult, I suppose. Really, you'd have had to went back to the Cora Finn final four years ago from from that type of defeat um, because obviously the year afterwards was the COVID year um, which there was no Ulster. So then the next year was, was Ulster and All-Ireland. So it was a group of players who weren't accustomed to losing big games and I suppose you get into that with Kilku and you always feel that you're going to win the match and and that's regardless whether you're playing well or not because they just had that innate ability to dig it out and grind it out and find a way even whenever things were going against them. So um, we knew the challenge it was going to be against Glenn, you know, very formidable side, um, probably the couple of bounces of the ball that went for us the previous year didn't go and, um, and Glenn won the game and, and good luck to them and you've seen just how able they were pushing on again Mike Collin and beat them even though they were kind of below the, the way they played in the Ulster final they still had enough and found a way It's funny like uh, I, I remember uh, the great interview Ashley did with Conor Glass after the, the Ulster club final and he was he was hinting at a, a little bit of needle between the Glen and Kilku players on the pitch and look Ulster club football is is spicy and feisty at the best of times but um, and look sledging is something that's that's part of the game now it was clearly a rivalry that um, that was very very feisty on the day which is which is great to see as as a fan I suppose yeah the intensity of the game that day and you could feel it from the stand and I suppose Ashley was there you know every ball was so continually keenly contested you know every point every score every block. You know, and you could just feel the tension, and and sometimes that spills onto the pitch. And obviously, losing the game last year for them after extra time, you know, they had huge motivation. You know, Kilku getting back to maybe trying to retain their All Ireland club title. There was so much on the line, and it wasn't just that one day. Like that's the culmination of work on both sides of years and years. And you sort of had a feeling that day, if you could get over the line, you're in with a serious chance of winning the All Ireland club, and and that's what was at stake and you know things boil over and you know but like after the game like you see, you know you seen pictures of of Conor Lavery and Michael Warnock um with kids at the very end so look there'd be there'd be a lot of you know respect between the teams and I think that's a rivalry that that may endure into the future and that may not just be the last time they would uh, brush shoulders and that photo of, of Conor Laverty, I think it was yeah. a sports fan, maybe it was, it was an unbelievable Brandon picture. Monaghan Brandon Monaghan yeah mm-hmm. unbelievable photograph just to see in that moment he still had the the dignity to, I guess, give a little moment or two to, to a fan. Um, That's actually interesting to bring up. Like, obviously, Conor Laverty is is managing down. So, yeah. Conor, you are managing Conor while he's managing down. So, a county team. So, how was that dynamic? Yeah, look, Conor was very, very upfront uh, right from the start that he was keen on doing it. And, and we give him our full support. And, like, we'd offer, you know, especially at the start when they just got going, we'd offer them nights off and, and maybe take breaks and, and he wouldn't do it. And, like, he'd schedule everything around trying to make everything work. And we would have trained Monday, Wednesday, Fridays generally all the time because of the way the down league's structured. And we continued that and, and Connor continued to train down there um, in between times. So, look, I think anybody that was looking in from the outside would have known the type of character Connor is and the bounce they would have got. And like it's no surprise to me that, that Down have started the year with two wins. Um and again, the next round they've, they've got the semi final in the Mechanic Cup against Derry, which will be a massive chance because Derry have been playing stronger teams maybe than, than some of the other counties. So this will be a massive test for Down just to see exactly where they are because it's a very competitive division three. But the one thing that Connor will bring is serious enthusiasm, serious passion, you know and not to mention you know, his knowledge of the game and, and his ability to rate to young players and he's had these guys 
at under 21s or under 20s and they've won an Ulster so there's a there's an element of belief and I think look it's a, it's a great time for Down I think they will improve where they've been in previous years um, probably has been unfortunate and maybe sort of some of the managers have been lucky at times because it, they've been in Division 2 that was really hard to get out of and I think Down will be on the bounce they've done a goal in the Championship and you know I wouldn't bet against them to, to get a win there um, kind of last, I think it was last April. Myself and yourself shared a stage on uh, in uh, in Monaghan Town for a bit of a championship preview night. I remember uh, I was asking for predictions towards the end, and you, you were predicting Derry to win the Ulster Championship. A few raised eyebrows in the, amongst the Monaghan crowd, and you know what? You are absolutely right. <laughs> Malachy O'Rourke was on the stage with us at, at the same time. Um, and look, you know how difficult it is to win a, a Derry cl- Senior Club Championship. I mean, just how impressive has Malachy been? I, I've made it no secret on this show how much of a fan I am, given I'm a Monaghan man. Bit of love there for Malachy O'Rourke, but what he's done with Glenn um, is is more than impressive. Yeah, it is. Look, and I suppose Malachy would have been there with Ryan Porter uh, back from the Monaghan days. And look, he took Monaghan, he, he put them at the top table where they were that consistently, and they're still there. And I suppose it'd be fingerprints of what he has done still in that team with them players, you know. But you know, even add into that the likes of, you know, Johnny Bradley, who would be at the very top end of sports analysis and, you know, along with Mickey McCullough, who I'd been at school with. So, like, they've got a county management setup. They've a county management um, team there. Like, this Glen team obviously got that county final three years ago and lost to Marafelt, you know, in a very close game. Um, obviously, Connor Glass coming home was the catalyst along with Malik O'Rourke because it just changed the whole dynamic. But, like, you know, the likes of Ryan Dugan, Cahill Mulholland, Michael Warnock, Danny Talon, like they were all very, very good players in Derry. But there was a feeling that they could miss the boat and they might not push through. Malik O'Rourke, I think, changed that because they got somebody who they felt knew how to win big games, knew how to win competitions. He'd already won an Ulster Club with a loop. Um, so he'd been there and he'd done it. They'd put their full faith in him. He'd put their full faith in them. And look, it, it has been a massive appointment. And I think probably Glenn will just do whatever it takes to keep Maliki there for as long as he can because there's no doubt that you know the correlation between Maliki work being places and teams being successful you know is is there to, for everybody to see there's no doubt another manager you'll have learned a lot from over the last um, couple of years and few years is, is Mickey Moran um, a bit of a guru when it comes to, to GA management I think it's fair to say and uh, like I, I even remember speaking to you before about that that moment when Kilku were two points down in, in injury time in the All-Ireland Club final and I think you were saying you were standing between um, Mickey and, and Jerome Johnston and you, you had a bit of a premonition that you know that goal was going to come but l- you must have learned so much standing on sidelines beside that man Ah you do and, and I suppose it's, it's very hard to put into words what you learn it's, it's really whenever you're talking to people and you're in situations and you go well you know what would Mickey do here and I think I suppose what he brings and, and not unlike Malik Urick and, and all the great managers is that calmness and they don't panic you know they, they, they look at the situation and they read it well and I think Mickey has something very special in as far as his personality. Like, and no matter where who meets him or where they meet him, you know, he just has that way of making you feel very, very special. And you know, players love him. And, and you go back and you, you listen to things of some of the ex Donegal players, ex BO players say about him. You know, and he hasn't been there for fifteen years or twenty years. So um, it just shows how special a character it is. But look, excuse me. <coughs> You know, I'd be in, I'd be talking to Mickey sort of two or three times, maybe every week. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. from he, even when he was there and from he left and and went with we went down to the the Glen game on uh, Sunday together as well. So, look, their their friendships with me and him and Richie and the boys and you know and all the Gilku people that will endure. And I suppose when you get through 
a length of time you spend that much time you had four years on the, the road and, and three with Mickey you just have a relationship and a bond and, and when you win it just makes it that more bit more special when I spoke to Caelan Doherty after he had won the All-Ireland, he said that he had only ever saw Mickey raise his voice once. And he said, I think he said it was the extra time in the All-Ireland final. And he was saying, you know, you have 30 minutes here for all the work you've put in for the whole year, you know, to, to turn this around. Something along the lines of this. But he said that that was the only time that he'd actually, actually seen him raise his voice. <laughs> Yeah, look, it, it was actually half time whenever we were maybe six points down and things weren't going well. And I suppose the way the dynamic had always worked, I would have started and, and, and Richie would have been in there, Mickey would have finished. And I don't think I even got started and Mickey just threw something and started, you know, and, and obviously the fact that he never would raise his voice or never would be cross meant everybody sat up and listened. And it was a case at that stage that, look, you have 30 minutes to go and, and see if you can get yourself back into this game. And if you can't, you're back down the road again with another defeat and, you know, losing an All-Ireland Club final is devastating but I suppose to get back there after the COVID year and a couple of years and, and not to give up your best and, and like we hadn't been our best in that first half and, and I suppose once we threw caution at the wind and, and went at it, uh, you know, look, special things happened but no, look, um, Mickey would have lost his temper with me once once or twice more but uh, no he, he reserved it for us and, and the players always get off a wee bit later <laughs> scary it's like your it's like the parent who's like the, the quiet parent or the less scary parent when they raise their voice and you're like Jesus yeah, yeah uh, it was the it was the semi-final the year before we were playing Bally Bowden. Um the first year that we got to the final and there was five or six minutes to go and this was wherever the sort of mere form you could go onto the pitch and, and get messages out and I had an altercation with a linesman and I get sent to the stand and obviously you get sent to the stand you lost your you know and, and Mickey was he loved getting somebody out and getting messages on I wasn't there and he just gave me a stare and after it into the oh, changing no. room and you know and I said sorry for letting him down and I was waiting on it and you know he, he never said anything he just gave me a hug and he says look that's a lesson learned and, and I, I, I really thought I was for it that day and, and maybe if we hadn't won that match it could have been yeah. a very different story I might have been back with him for a for a second or a third year. Yeah, Jesus, <laughs> scary moments. It's a, the stare alone speaks a thousand words, no doubt. Ah, look, when, when Mickey gives you that death stare, he doesn't have to say anything. You you know you're in trouble. Yeah. 100%. Only some people have that, isn't it? It's, oh, yeah. It's an aura. Yeah, like, it yeah. is. It's a presence. Does it give you ambitions, Conneth, your experiences and obviously heading into the, the Eden Dork job as well uh, for, for inter-county management? I know there's a lot more... I don't know if pressure is the word because there's pressure on club management as well for sure but maybe more of a, a media focus on the on the inter-county job is, is that something that you harbour ambitions of in, in the coming years? Ah oh, yeah look that would be something I'd, I'd love to I'd love to do um, obviously when you come from like a setup with Kilku had like it, it would be very similar to you know been involved in a county mm-hmm. setup because of the, the sort of stages of the year you're at and things so no look it, it's something I'd, I'd love to try at some point uh, you know as well as maybe in the next year or two sort of Managing my own club, Balnderry. Um, obviously, uh, I've been involved with the sort of a wee group there from probably under sixes, and this year we're beating the, the minor semi-final. So I have a lad that's moved across into senior. So maybe after a couple of years of him being there in his own without me annoying him, because I'd have been sort of helping and coaching his team all the time, and you know and that's not easy. And I suppose this year, Killian Collins, the Balnderry manager, and I think it's probably a chance for Adam to get away away from me, where I'm not probably been too sore on him or or he's not been too sore on me and, and obviously all the, the rows that happen at training or at matches are always brought into the home and for anybody that sort of manages their son at, at any top level you know I'd have great admiration for him because it's not an easy thing to do 
that. Oh, it's the car journeys. Yeah. That's the worst one. Oh. Going the silence from probably. the games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> silence is worse. Yeah. Uh, it's more so whenever uh, his mummy was at the match and, you know, takes his side and they all gang up on me at home and I'm in, <laughs> I'm in trouble for oh, it. Yeah, you're the victim, ah, you're the victim here, Connolly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happened, it's happened once or twice. And I ah, look, to be fair, um, you're always sore on your own and a lot of the times you know, you would, you would say things or you'd take them off or you might take off somebody else. And, you know, it probably is something that's very hard to navigate. And, you know, as I say, I would have great admiration for anybody who's been able to do it at, at the top level. Well, geez, that, that brings me nicely into the next question because um, there was a few headlines when uh, when Bally Bay, uh, the Monaghan County Champions, were were drawn to play Kilku in the in the Ulster Club Championship this year. And, of course, Jerome Johnston, a man you know very well, uh, in charge of Bally Bay, uh, now he opted to to step aside. Of course, he has sons and nephews, and Jesus, loads loads of family members. Johnston's on that uh, on that Kilku team. Uh, now, apparently, he had made his his plans quite clear to Bally Bay from the outset of taking the job. That if we ever meet Kilku, I don't want to be involved. I can't manage against my my blood. Uh, it was it was a bit of an awkward one, Connolly, because you know some people are saying, Jesus, he, he has to. You're, you're the manager of Bally Bay. You have to be involved. But then you look at the human element, and you're like, well must be so tough to, to try and come up and plan against your own your own family. Yeah, look, that the situation it was in, you know, it had been a quite a while from Bally Bay had won a championship, let alone got a run in the Ulster Club. So I suppose at the outset, he laid a stall out. But the likelihood of it happening was, was very, very unlikely. So I probably think in the back of his head, he probably thought, well, it might never happen. You know, <laughs> even we do win a championship, you know, our pass bait and cross, one of the two teams might be beaten. But look, Whenever the draw for Ulster was made, I suppose he was probably looking back at it and thinking, well, we'd still have to beat the, the Armagh champions. Yeah. And but it was Cross McGlenn and so formidable. But look, you know, to be fair, Jerome from these boys were, you know, a lot of the senior team now were, were very, very young. He was part of the under-14s and the minor teams that were very successful. So as well as having, you know, five nephews, well, six nephews and, and three sons on top of that, look, he's a huge Kilku supporter and... Like I never ever thought there was a situation where that he was going to manage against Kilku, and I suppose it took a few days probably for a word to break out. But you know, and Mark Dorn, he'd you know, it it's somebody there was able to hold the reins. And um, look, it would have been the most difficult day would have been for him. Like I know he didn't go to the game, um, and that would have been very difficult, particularly after the game when you don't win, you have to make contact with players, and you don't really know how they're going to feel. But like I know, you know, chatting to, to Paul Finlay and some of the boys that would know a wee bit better. You know, they would have nothing but great time for Jerome, and, and they completely stood behind his decision. And you know, on the day, like they were, they were brilliant across McGlenn, and I suppose that gave mm. us a, a really good feel for how good they could be. And had they have scraped through that game or not played as well, we mightn't have been as well prepared. But um, we'd had to prepare really well for them, and, and we did, and and that sort of gave us the, the advantage because we'd seen them at their best. Is that something you you've had to do even in, when you're involved with Kilku and now heading Eden Dork? Have you had to make it clear that you know if you do ha- end up coming up against Ballandary in an Ulster Club Championship game that you want to step aside, or have you even had that or thought of having that? Conversation? No, look, look, I, I haven't actually met anybody, uh, the players or, or anybody in Dork just yet. But uh, no, no, like uh, I'll definitely not, I'll definitely not be on the sideline if that happens. But um, very, very interestingly, like, I suppose we would have a competition in Ulster it's an Ulster league and it would be a very minor pre-season competition and in my first year in with, with Kilku and um, they played Ballandary in Ballandary in that competition and you know and I stood on the sideline and I never opened my mouth but it was a very difficult difficult thing to do um, you know and especially when you have family and you know and I suppose at that stage I had still played with all the players because I just finished and I just retired so um, you know it happened a number of years ago with Ronan McGuckin when he managed Ergil Kieran and they played Ballandary and he stepped away and, and I look Ergil won that day and, and it was the right decision for him and um, 
everybody has to make them them decisions on their own and what's right for somebody maybe isn't right for somebody else and mm. um that's just the nature of it you can't go outside your county because you don't want that hassle and you know probably when you're successful that's the only opportunity that that the teams have a beaten so um but there will, there will be a lot of stars would have to align for for anything like that to happen either way <laughs> of course uh, listen uh, Conor, great, with your time. great with your time as always i'm just looking here so it's yourself and uh, this is malachy's club man justin core taking charge of uh, of eden dork now as we said now morgan darren mccurry conical patrick uh, they're coming up from the intermediate ranks as well in, in tyrone so very best of luck with that one and uh, no doubt we'll uh, we'll catch up with you in the coming months as well you will. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Conlip. Great stuff. Kenneth Gilligan there, of course. The uh, the new Eden Dork boss. Always a pleasure chatting to Kenneth Gilligan. Absolutely, yeah. <clears throat> uh, O2BM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We'll be back tomorrow morning with Adrian and myself. We'll be joined by a host of Irish stars on a packed show, including Irish international Louise Quinn, Ronald O'Gara, Jenny Murphy, Alan Quinlan, and plenty more besides. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.